right, we are back with episode seven of Monthly Cronoso. The first stop here is Indianapolis, Indiana, where we jump into February 1988 for the first ever WWF main event. This is a historical, historical, historical event, and I can't wait to get into it. And in the second part here, we are going to Nashville for the 15th installment of Saturday Night's Main Event from March 1988. All right, let me hand over the keys to Mike Eller as he gets us going here. All right, guys, catch you on the next one as we cruise on into WrestleMania season here on Monthly Cronoso. North-South Connection, uh, welcome back to another excellent edition of Cronoso Monthly where... Um, we're taking a look at all of the big WWF um, major shows, the pay-per-views. Eventually, we're going to get to the premium live events uh, when we get to that road, whenever 2021, 2022. I'm uh, Mike Eller. I'm happy to be back with you. And I am going to be giving you the arena um, history as well as the overall WWF landscape uh, as we head to the main event from February 5th, 1988, um, taking place at the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana. So, I said the main event. Um, it's not Saturday night main event. Um, it's just the main event. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't start getting into wrestling until the Attitude Era. Um, despite watching a lot of old wrestling, I, up until, again, 5 to 10 years ago... I didn't actually even know that there was a difference between the main event and Saturday night's main event. Um, but yeah, there is. And uh, one of the cool things about this show is with the main event, um, you know, usually I'll say it was February 5th, 1988, but it was recorded like January 10th of 1988. This is live. This is taking place, you know, as the viewers are watching at home, um, which millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions I can keep going on of people did. Um, this is a incredibly historically historic historically significant show. Um, this is going to be forever remembered and we're definitely excited to go over this with you. Um, but uh, before we get into you know the awesome action from this show or you know obviously historical significance of this show, I did want to go over um, like the overall landscape of the WWF as well as the arena history. So um, we don't have any changes in champions. Like I, it's been a while since I've done one of these and I said there has been a change. I think Strike Force was probably the last one. Um, so our WWF champion is Hulk Hogan. The Intercontinental champion is the Honky Tonk Man. The WWF tag team champions are Strike Force. Con- consisting of Tito Santana and Rick Martel. And then uh, we have another Martel as the um, women's WWF, WWF women's champion, and that is uh, Sensational Sherry. Uh, so, again, nothing nothing changing heading into this show. Um, like I said, we're um, at Market Square Arena. Um, it's in Indianapolis, um, Indiana. This arena opened in 1974. Um, it closed at the end of the 1988. Ni- the ni- it closed in 1999. I'll get into the basketball later. Uh, just a couple years later, it was demolished. It was demolished in 2001. Um, some tenants that played here were the Indiana Pacers. They played here from uh, 74 to 99. Uh, 
some other teams. Uh, we have one from the World Hockey Association. It was the Indiana Racers. Uh, they played here from 74 to 78. So we had the Pacers and the Racers. Um, then we also had two IHL teams, or the International Hockey League. Um, in the 80s, from 85 to 87, we had the Indiana Checkers. And then from 94 to 97, uh, we had the Indianapolis Ice. Um, so again, like I said, this opened in 74, closed in 79. Um, the Indiana Pacers, at the very beginning of the existence of the American Basketball Association, um, won three ABA championships, but the last one came in 73, um, so they never won one here. And then, you know, once they joined the NBA in 1976, um, they were a good team in the 90s, uh, but that late 90s. But then uh, they closed this arena in 1999. And then the Indiana Pacers went to their first and only since then NBA Finals. Uh, so I'm honestly thinking that um, this, the main event, uh, is the probably the biggest event in the history of this arena. Uh, there might be concerts I'm missing, but, you know, those Reggie Miller playoff games against the Knicks, they were both at Madison Square Garden in New York. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they never had a finals game here. They never had an ABA, you know, championship one here. So it's very likely that, and that's pretty freaking sweet, I think, that, like, this is the biggest, this might be the biggest event in the history of this arena. Um, I know it's only 25 years old, but pretty cool. Uh, so just some, a little bit of history of the mark, the WWF in the market square arena. The last time we were here, uh, was a house show from, uh, January 2nd of 88. So literally only a month ago, uh, Hulk Hogan defeated uh, one man gang for the WWF title. And, uh, you know, just kind of a little fun match I saw in the card or the card breakdown, uh, Lanny Poffo defeated Barry Horowitz. So that's, that's fun. Uh, going over our last major show, I, I don't even know if it's a major show, uh, Superstars of Wrestling, uh, you know, it wasn't a Saturday night main event or a pay-per-view or anything. Uh, this took place July 18th of 1987. Uh, in a dark match, Hulk Hogan defeated Harley Race, uh, King Harley Race to be exact. And then um, another tag match or title match that took place, the Hart Foundation, uh, Brett Hart, Jim Neidhart, they defeated Jerry Allen and Mike Richards to retain the titles uh, back before Strike Force beat them. Uh, so let's get back. Let's get, you know, thank you very much for listening to me. I uh, hope you enjoyed, you know, a little bit of a background of everything going on. Again, um, our announcers tonight are Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. I hope that you really enjoy the show. Again, much historical, historical significance. Uh, it's going to be a blast listening to this. And uh, we'll talk to you in a bit. Take care. Cronoso listeners, Johnny C here, ladies and gentlemen, and I gotta tell ya, I gotta be a little honest up front, I don't have much humor for ya this go-around, but what I do have is a lot of passion, and, and I'm 100% authentic here, because I get to talk to you about the first five or so minutes of the main event one. It is an absolute honor to be on this show. Why? Well, it's fun to do this with nice people, but more importantly, well not more importantly, but let me just let me just tell you why it's an honor. 
in my opinion, the show we are, we are about to cover is the greatest professional wrestling program ever. No caveats, no little asterisks here on the end, no rules applied to it. It's really simple. And I mean this one billion percent. This is the greatest wrestling program ever. Now you might be able to grab me by the throat and say, Johnny C, you're insane. What about something that's better with match rank? Let's just think about, let's contrast and compare this to In Your House Canadian Stampede, literally because it just popped into my head. A show that's often considered one of the best WF pay-per-views of all time. But did you hear, you hear that statement I just made right there? It's often considered one of the best WWF pay-per-views of all time. That's a caveat. That is an asterisk. There is, there's, that's, a, that's a qualifier. That's a qualifying statement. This, the main event number one, is the greatest professional wrestling show ever produced. For what it does, for the... I, I don't, I don't want to put qualifiers on it, but given the circumstances in play, the events that transpire, the card that's in place... The interviews even, the every single word that's chosen in every interview, it all adds up to create the best pro wrestling program ever. If pro wrestling was happening and there was a camera involved with the intent to show it to an audience, this is the best. Period. And yes, those are qualifiers that I'm just adding to make the point. And this is just my opinion. And if you don't believe me, if you think I'm full of shit, and I'm not shilling here, I'm just trying to emphasize the point. When I started my own podcast feed... You know, one of the first shows that I ever covered in great detail was this particular program with the particular thesis I've just laid down for all of you, and I stand by it. But there's no time. Here we go. Let's talk about the first 30 seconds. Because time is such a pivotal thing here. They have one hour, three championship matches, and perhaps one of the most remembered storylines in the history of our sport... First 30 seconds, Macho Man Randy Savage and the Honky Tonk Man each get literally exactly 15 seconds to do a stand-up talking head to promote their upcoming Intercontinental title match. And the Macho Man lets us know, uh-huh, I'm sending the Honky Tonk Man on the bus with the one-way ticket to Disgraceland. Just proof that someone that worked at NWA TNA in a creative capacity also loves this show. Because they created the character Disgraceland that the Macho Man references here. Y'all remember Disgraceland? He was one of the flying Elvises. Bone in Graceland, uh, bone in Graceland. The Honky Talk Man brings up smashing the guitar over Macho Man's head at a previous Saturday night's main event attraction. And then adds, we all saw his woman fall head over heels for me. Referencing the pushing of Miss Elizabeth. How dare you, Honky. And then they replay the smashing of the guitar, and Jimmy the Heart adds, Well, Honky Tonk Man, Macho Man's kind of lucky. He's lucky you didn't play the piano. Now the next 30 seconds. 30 seconds to 60 seconds, or 30 seconds to one minute. We get, ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant and the multi-million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, with some iconic words. They are declaring themselves challengers to your world championship belt. No one can beat Mega Bucks. I'll put you to sleep with my million dollar dream. 
Okay, okay, maybe I had a joke for you, whether or not you laughed. Uh, you know, but it was the wrong clip. It's not what they say. But that, of course, comes from the WWF Superstars arcade stand-up. Why does video game Ted DiBiase sound like he's one of the little rascals? Like, I'm gonna get you in a million dollar green. Like, he just sounds like a little rascal. But also, how awesome is it that in 1988, the video game technology existed? Uh, to replicate the unintelligible voice of Andre the Giant. I mean, seriously? Well done. Chef's kiss. That's what the kids say, right? But what did they really say? They put over their new team-up and alliance to this massive television audience because Andre and the multi-million dollar man are kind of a new thing in the lore of the WWF. Andre is the true champion, according to Ted, and tonight that belt's going around Andre's waist and Andre will choke the life out of Hulk Hogan. And Andre, of course, can to do it again. And squeeze, and squeeze. Now, we're at one minute into the program. For the next 30 seconds, one minute to one minute 30, Hulk Hogan cuts a Hulk Hogan promo as only he could do. He calls Andre a nasty, stinking giant. He is wearing the old WWF title. It's a very typical Hulk Hogan program of the, or promo of this era. I don't say that to trivialize it. I don't do that. say that to call it bad. I say that to point out to you it's exactly what you expect and exactly what you need for this event with this audience. His final words, I want to pay attention to. He promises us that Hulkamania will never die. Hulkamania will never die. A very important message for this show to put out there to all the kidsters watching. It's sort of Hulk Hogan's overall thesis. It's the first it's it's the it's the it's the ending statement to the first time we see him in this show, which means hypothetically it's giving us this is our act 1 of Hulk Hogan. This is the through line. Hulkamania will never die. It's important to remind remind the kidsters that because tonight it's going to look like Hulkamania has died. I'm wondering if much like the death of Optimus Prime in the amazing 1986 film, Transformers, the movie. Did this ruin your childhood like the death of Optimus Prime? What happens to Hulk Hogan tonight? Let me know. One minute and 30 seconds to two minutes and five seconds. Our Saturday night's main event or the main event intro with the music. We focus on the IC title and world title competitors. We show a clip of Andre doing his finishing hip toss maneuver to Bam Bam Bigelow. Is just... Is this just to get it over? I mean, I've not seen a ton of Andre matches. I don't know if this was always his big finish, but they show it, and I'm glad they do. After the intro, we fade to black. I would love to know, did we go to commercial here in the real world? Or is this just a Peacock thing? If anyone has the main event taped off of NBC with the commercials, I would pay you to get a copy. That's all I'm saying. You can reach me on my socials, on Twitter at the Johnny C. This, that, that particular statement's not endorsed by the North South Connection Podcast Network. That's just me. Because I want to experience this thing with the commercials, with all the production, the way it was anyway. Two minutes and seven seconds to three minutes and 57 seconds. We return to just an absolutely insane crowd here at Market Square Arena. They are rabid for the WWF's unique brand of sports-based entertainment. Vince McMahon welcomes us to the largest TV audience in World Wrestling Federation history. Vince McMahon is here on the call with Slytherin's Jesse the Body Ventura. Why is he from Slytherin? Well, he's wearing a snake-based wizard pointy hat. 
he won't talk until Vince reminds us he just flew in from Hollywood. Vince asks Jesse for his comments. Well, he won't give comments because he only deals in facts, McMahon. Now I'm going to give some facts to you and all the Hoosier losers. Andre the Giant's been waiting a year to face Chump Hogan, and he predicts that there's going to be a new champion tonight. He also predicts the Hearts will regain the tag titles from Strike Force, and the Honky Tonk Man will retain his Intercontinental title and get his hands on Miss Elizabeth. Even Jesse doesn't know what the Honky Tonk Man will do with her. Coming up first is the Intercontinental title match, but first, let's take a look at some recent footage of the Hulkster. Jesse is all tired of hearing about Hogan, and Vince lets us know that Hulk Hogan has really been training hard for this encounter. Now... From 3 minutes and 57 seconds to 5 minutes and 32 seconds, Hulk Hogan works out, I think, in Titan Tower. Maybe not. No, he's not. He's in the gym. He's in the gym of the shirt. He's wearing the shirt of the gym he's in, I think. But he works out to Jake the Snake, what would become Jake the Snake Roberts' entrance theme. Is this a waste of time? Given what happens to the end of this show, I would argue no. Because you have to put over the character of Hulk Hogan to the largest audience of all time. You absolutely have to. If anyone's watching for the first time, you have to present what the Hulk Hogan character is, and this is a pretty fucking good example when you combine his words in the opening segment. Uh, this footage looks like it comes directly from the set of No Holds Barred, by the way. I don't know why, but it just reeks of it. And ladies and gentlemen, it ends with Hulk Hogan doing one of his famous poses, the one where he puts his uh, uh, fists together at the point of his body and, rah, and leans forward. And his... His la insane, laughing, screaming fit the <laughs> has to be seen to be believed, but it's the icing on the cake. Afterwards, we get the awesome graphic for the Macho Man versus the Honky Tonk Man. Vince tosses to Mean Gene that's with the Honky Tonk Man, and Johnny C is done. Folks, enjoy the show. Enjoy the rest of what everyone has to bring you here for this episode of Cronoso. It's really a ride worth taking. Watch the show as well on Peacock or whatever means you have. You have to experience this show if you haven't. I imagine most of you probably have, but it's just, it's amazing. A quick shout out to some of my shows here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, the Multiverse of Fabulousness, which appears once a month, where myself and Keithy Langston look at pop culture variants. We play a game of Marvel's What If, basically. Please don't sue us. Uh, and also, check out my personal feed, the new TNN, if you're feeling froggy. I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you. Cronoso Monthly, welcome back to another match where we... And by we, I mean me and Jennifer Smith. We'll be breaking down another match here. Uh, Jenny, how you doing tonight? I am fantastic. I just watched this match. I'm kind of pumped to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, with well, a revelation that I made uh, before, before. Yeah, yeah, you blew me away earlier. That, that, that makes it even uh, more exciting. Maybe yep. maybe the reason we got this match in the first place. But uh, we will be covering... Uh, Randy Savage versus the Honky Tonk Man for the IC title from the main event uh, from 1988. Uh, more famously known for another match that you will probably hear from somebody else. 
uh, further the way down. But uh, we have the other uh, really exciting match that a lot of people were looking forward to. Uh, Honky had been IC champion for a good bit at this point. Um, Savage was a starting to get real hot as a baby face. So um, this was a match a lot of people were looking forward to. They really wanted to see Savage uh, beat the crap out of the uh, the honky-tonk man here. He had been terrorizing him for months, hit him over the head with the guitar, uh, threatened Liz uh, multiple times. So uh, definitely a hot match uh, coming in here. But uh, I'll start by getting into the promos that happened. Uh, we kind of opened the show with our usual Saturday night's main event kind of thing where they show like the wrestler and their little symbol behind them and they cut a little promo. Um, Macho says he's going to send Honky Tonk on his first trip back to Graceland. Uh, so there was a little uh, Elvis uh, rib there. Honky then comes in, calls Savage a whiner, says he can't keep the IC title or his woman satisfied. So uh, shot at uh, Savage not even be able to keep uh, Liz satisfied. Honky also says he wasn't able to get a good tune-up for his guitar. Uh, Jimmy then says he's a lucky man, and Honky asked why. And Jimmy said Savage is lucky. Honky doesn't play the piano. So he was threatening to hit him with the piano. Uh, what did you think of these kind of opening opening package interviews? So <laughs> Honky Tonk is just so over the top that he, he takes – one of my first notes is these are grown ass men. Uh, what are we doing? You know, and I never feel that way about wrestling, like hardly ever, which I kind of, you know, normal people probably do. But I it just it was so over the top and nuts that I was like a little <laughs> worried about the rest of it. Um, but then Later on, when Savage comes in, he does the same thing, but it's so convincing. I'm going, okay, this is a grown-ass man. He's <laughs> just another crazy man in a costume. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, Yeah, I, I, Honky's just completely over top. And then, obviously, they both get interviewed by Gene, and Gene uh, says he's missing part of the story somehow, that it isn't the match, uh, and, and it's about the fact that he's finally, uh, that Honky's finally going to give Elizabeth what she wants, which is him and not Savage. Uh, and then he does some awful little sing-songy quotes from Elvis uh, songs. It was the worst. Um, it was awful. <laughs> and then, like you said, Gene brings in Savage. Uh, Gene asks Liz <laughs> uh, about Honky's claims. And, of course, being the chauvinist asshole that he is, Randy Savage completely cuts her off, mm -hmm. uh, even though he's a babyface. Um, he says what he did to Liz and the things that he said are only fuel to the fire and that vengeance will be Randy's tonight. So um, real fire, fiery promo here by Savage. He still cuts Liz off, so mm. he's still got a little bit of that, uh, the, the real macho man in him. But um, yeah, uh, Honky's, Honky's interview was just very sing-songy, and he mm -hmm. quoted it, and it was real cringe. So uh, his, his promo didn't have me super excited for the match, but Savage came in there and kind of knocked that out of the park. So what'd you think? Yeah, he was beat red. Like, he was... <laughs> intensely like flushed <laughs> during his, his mind, oh sweating already <laughs> um at the look on liz's face she just looks terrified the entire promo which you know she kind of does most of the time anyway yeah she um, has resting terrified face so. yes <laughs> she really does and 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 also honky's music is blaring through half of his promo um and you can he's drowned out uh most the of the time so mm -hmm. Boy, uh, it was exciting though. Like, and Gene, Gene, his outrage is fantastic and sells all of this nonsense. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Gene was great in both of these. Uh, both of these segments uh, just show an absolute. He was appalled by everything mm-hmm. that Honky Tonk said about Liz, and then he was uh, excited to see Savage go out there to kick his ass. But um, we'll get on into the match here now. Um, well, like I said, Randy Savage versus Honky Tonk Man for the IC title. Uh, Honky Tonk is led out by Jimmy Hart and Peggy Sue. Peggy mm. Sue is a new character played by your favorite uh, sensational Sherry. Um, you did not know this was her until about five minutes ago. Uh, you knew we got this match because of Sherry, but you were very yes. confused until I was confused before we recording. So. Uh, I feel real dumb, uh, real <laughs> dumb, gonna be honest with you. But one of my notes is like, I've never seen Peggy Sue before, you know. I'm just like, she's super cute, like, you know, she's like really hamming it up the way that Honky hams it up. Mm-hmm. Never crossed my mind this was Sherry, no yeah, idea. This- this is not a very well, a very long, uh, long character. I think she's only around for maybe until Mania, and then she just kind of disappears. Obviously, comes back later as uh, Queen Sherry and uh, all, all the other gimmicks that she has throughout the rest of her run. So, I don't think this lasts very long. I think this is one of her like main appearances. So, uh, I, I think she may sporadically pop in and out uh, uh, as this character, but she's this is really the big time that she shows up and kind of. Shows off as a honky tonk girlfriend. She's um, super cute. Like I love this. I mm. love it. I love it. And it makes so much sense now that it's Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> she looked like one of the uh, pink what a dumb from uh, Greece. So yeah, yeah they, she, she does. She's so cute. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, like like we kind of talked about before we started recording, the crowd is already super hot for oh this my one. God. And, uh, the match hasn't even started. Uh, Savage kind of jumps out of the ring to run around the ring and catch Honky. Once he catches him, the crowd gets even louder. They just explode. It's awesome. Uh, he rams Jimmy and Honky's heads together at one point. That gets another absolutely gigantic pop. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy constantly uh, gets Savage's attention, which is the reason that Honky's able to even take over at any point. Uh, he nails Savage in the gut with a megaphone, which becomes uh, Honky's focus. He kind of goes for the rib and uh, abdomen area for the rest of the match. Uh, Honky's constant gyrating makes me um, makes me want Liz to kick him in the dick. I thought that <laughs> at, some, at some point throughout the match, he constantly gyrates at her. So I wanted her to finally uh, not be so terrified and actually uh, strike him or something. So um Seven hits a bunch of really good elbows throughout this one. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was really, really keying in on the head of uh, Honky Tonk Man, really wanting to bash his brains in. Um, the gyrating finally catches up with the Honky Tonk Man, uh, and Savage really starts whipping his ass from pillar to post at, at one point in the match. Uh, Jimmy then tries to get involved again, uh, but gets a knee from Honky for his troubles. Uh, Peggy Sue then goes after Liz, uh, but Savage is quick to cut that off, and while Honky follows him, <laughs> Uh, he gets pushed into the post, and this disorientates him so much uh, that actually uh, Honky Tonk gets counted out. So Savage actually wins, but uh, Honky Tonk retains the championship. And I'll just go ahead and get into the post-match, and then I'll mm-hmm. toss to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, post-match, Honky gets the guitars, uh, teases hitting Savage with it, uh, but Jimmy ends up hitting him with the megaphone instead. Uh, Liz then saves Randy from the guitar shot. And just as soon as Honky is about to hit Liz, Randy recovers, steals the guitar, and starts swinging it at Honky, who then bails while Savage and Liz pose. They kind of do the on-the-shoulder pose that they're uh, kind of famous for. So um, what did you think of the match and the post-match tech? 
Yeah, he smashed it on the turnbuckle too. Uh, mm -hmm. Huge pop for that. Oh my god! Oh my god! I was not prepared <laughs> for any of this. like. And we're not, you know, <laughs> it's all about the emotion of it and the story. It's entirely angle driven. You know, we're doing strikes and punches, kicks, holds, the famous elbows, uh, a lot of Jimmy interference, huge bumping and selling on both parts. Um, so all that's kind of standard, but then all the crowd and the, all, like all the story of this, it just, it just really drew me in. I had so much fun watching this. Um, I, you know, there Savage is, <laughs> he's just so classic and like even going after Peggy Sue, like when she starts messing <laughs> with Liz, like he just, he just so, that is she is foremost in his mind and that comes across in this. And then she protects him, you know, from the guitar shot at the end. So they're both very protective of each other. And uh, yeah, this was, this was so much fun. And the crowd made it like, if you eliminate the crowd from this, it's, oh, yeah. it, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, but all the heat and the emotion and everybody feeding into it every and everybody hit their marks and it was well done and i just super enjoyed it i'm not gonna lie like I, the count out i'm like it doesn't matter like i'm like whatever we're not i don't care about the title right mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a title match i don't care about it and mm -hmm. i don't it, it was just great and that's the way it was for savage savage didn't care about i mean right. he wanted to be the ic champ but uh, it, that wasn't what it was all about for him. Uh, you know, Honky had uh, pushed his lady down. It hit him with the guitar. All he wanted to do was just beat the shit out of Honky Tonk Man. And throughout this match, he did a good bit of that. So I, I think he got what he wanted, or what he came to do. Uh, obviously, he's headed for uh, higher heights. Um, obviously, the crowd is, plays a big part in them deciding to push him even further. Obviously. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm saying is he's going to win the WWE title at WrestleMania. <laughs> so um, there's that. Um, but you, you know, like th this is obviously the, one of the big reasons um, that, you know, they always saw him kind of a mid Carter and this crowd reaction, this match, this just uh, crowd swell of just getting behind him. And obviously I think they wanted to go some other direction than Hogan. Cause that's just mm -hmm. what they had been used to for, for so long. Um, and they'll talk about how Hogan ends up losing the belt later on in this night uh, after us. But yeah, just the crowd swell for uh, Savage here obviously led to him being the obvious, one of the obvious choices for the possible uh, winner of the tournament that they end up having at WrestleMania four. So um, yeah. And, just, and not to discredit honky at all, because I thought he yeah. was incredible this too, you know, it's definitely the Savage show, but honky just, he's perfect. He's mm. perfect in this. I enjoyed him so much. Yeah, the heat the heat that he had throughout his entire run is yeah. uh, pretty impressive. Uh he's he's definitely maybe not obviously not uh in ring wise, but he's got to be one of the best heels uh definitely of the era if not of all time just cuz of how much heat he he got and how much everybody just hated him cuz they tried to bring him in originally as like this white meat baby face that mm. was this Elvis impersonator that loved the fans and everything like that and everybody just fucking mm -mm. turn on him immediately mm -mm. so it wasn't this wasn't is ever so much work. better <laughs> and, and yeah the way that he played into it and i think he's not really a good person in real life either so <laughs> yeah it, it, it kind of helps that so um but yeah that'll wrap up or what would you score rated if you had to give it a score oh man oh no that would be <laughs> terrible uh because uh, i'm probably going like 
three and a quarter. Like, I just yeah. really liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would probably go three. Uh, honestly, uh, if good. I, like like we said, the the countout doesn't really matter in yeah. the grand scheme of things. But if it had had a finish, I guess it would have uh, probably gotten a little higher for me. But right. uh, three seems about right because um, it was definitely entertaining. Crowd was hot. Uh, but yeah, very enjoyable. Um, but what do you have to plug tonight that people can check out? How about on Wednesdays, you check out uh, the Jenny position because you can find it right here on the North-South Connection. And uh, you'll find Logan on a new episode of You Heard About Pluto very soon. Uh, Also, we are co-hosts along with uh, Roger, Cowboy Roger, uh, (laughs) of Talking Docs. Um, So just check out uh, the feed on every Wednesday. And you can find me on Twitter at Jenny position. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Highway PTBN. A um, couple of shows I have here on the North South Connection. Uh, the Seven Months of Danger is wrapping up. Uh, episode 22 will have just come out uh, as of a couple of days ago, as of this recording. And then uh, it will, when the last episode airs a couple of weeks from now, uh, it will be replaced by Linking Up Luchas, will be a look, look back to a Lucha Underground, which will fe- feature me and Jenny and a couple of other uh, misfits that we uh, mm. tag team with uh, fairly often. So um, just check all this stuff out here on the North South Connection. Check out all the Jenny stuff. Check out all the stuff that I mentioned. Uh, and we will see you next time. Sing us out. I got a Pegasus beside me. The Colonel's in the back. I'm coming to your town in my pink Cadillac. I'm just a honky tonk man. He's a honky tonk man. He's a honky man. He's a honky tonk man. I'm just a honky tonk man. I'm cool. I'm cocky. I'm bad. All right, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> hey now, Cronoso Monthly. We're here. It's a motley crew tonight. And we got my boy HDR making his video debut. Debut, uh, brother. JAD and Ryan Gray as well. Uh, we are all here to talk about one of the biggest moments in wrestling history. And I don't think it's hyperbole. Um, it's the end of the first and most iconic Hulk Hogan title reign on the main event, which drew 33 million viewers, I think it is. I'm sure we'll talk more about the raw numbers, but... Just an incredible night. The first time that the wrestling is on network TV um, in prime time since like the 60s or the 50s. So really just a huge night for for the company and for the business and for Hulk and certainly Andre and and everyone involved, really. So we're going to talk about it. Um, I I think whenever we talk about something this long ago and when we were kids, the most interesting thing to me is where were you in the moment? Let's start with you, Dave. Uh, Get your feet wet here on video. Um, what do you remember just about the night and where you were and who you were with and kind of all those like surrounding stuff that we always talk about on 24 IP? Sure, sure. Uh, oh, my God. I'm not, I'm not going to say I remember like yesterday, but I remember it very, very well. Uh, my dad was home. My mom was in the kitchen. My Aunt D, Uncle Tito were over the house. And my sisters were all out. But wherever they were, this was on because the whole world was watching it, you know, and um it was just, they had me prepared because we always had a little bit of a living so close to Madison Square Garden. We always had a little bit of an inside scoop here on uh, what's going on. Even back in 1988, it's when the smarts were cool. You know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they were trying to prepare me a little bit there. 
but um, it just it seems so weird. Like when I might be getting ahead of myself here, but like when I remember even at seven years old, like looking at Earl holding the belt up, like refs don't hold the belt up that long. I'm like, something don't look right here. Like something's up. Yeah, there's a while there. And we'll, I will get to it where you're almost waiting to not believe it, right? You can't believe yeah. it. And they did a really good job. We'll talk about it kind of creating suspense even after the, the pinfall, I guess. Uh, what about you, J.D.? Where were you back? Uh, for, you were, what, uh, 28, 29, I think, in uh, this in 88? What were you up to uh, back, back in 88 watching that? <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I was uh, banging away. I was uh, waiting tables. Uh, the old, it was a Friday night, the old job. Um, but, uh, unlike, uh, but uh, you know, when I got home 11, 12, I had the old VCR. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese? Tape. The what? Chuck E. Cheese, where are you working? He <laughs> <laughs> was Chuck. He was in the band. But fortunately, it wasn't like today where you know you had to worry about running into somebody and saying, "Oh, Andre won the match" or something like that. It was uh, you know total dark, so you know I popped the tape in. Uh, you know, so you got home spoiler free. You were good. What's that? You got you were good spoiler free. Oh yeah, come yeah. On, Surprised it, it wasn't uh, on in the in the restaurant. The restaurant, yeah. Nah, nah. Huh? not that kind of place, Dave. Not that kind of place. Not that kind of place. All right, the high-end Italian joint. That, uh, <laughs> steak, steak joint, actually. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Were you out and about watching this back in '88? Pretty sure I was in diapers. I was two You're and a half. Still, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, really, young man, youngster here. Yeah. As, gorilla, as a gorilla would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, would, okay. My first wrestling memory I do recall, though, is Andre in red tights. I assume it was a Boston Garden show that I watched on replay or whatever, but I remember Andre in red tights. So that always has me. Andre in the red tights. first time seeing this? My first time seeing this, uh, like, honestly, live was not live. Watching it full was probably when the network came out. I had to see it. So I was one of the one of the first thing I seeked out on the network was this show in its full. But, you know, I saw clips of it growing up. And the, the two referees thing is so infamous that, right. you know, you, you learn about it really, really quick in your wrestling fandom. And they always, they, they would talk about it, too, throughout the late 80s and early 90s when you go back and watch Earl and Dave Hebner and so on and so forth. So yeah, I think it's I the greatest, it was, uh, greatest angle ever besides maybe the NWO. Yeah. Uh, it's up there. I was, uh, I was seven like Dave and um, – was living in West Seneca, New York, and in, in like kind of the, the house I grew up in until fourth grade. And the really funny thing about this, and my uncle will still call me, and he'll be like, when did my friend Donnie move to Los Angeles? Because they stopped over the house because he was be- leaving the next day. So I always forever know when my Uncle Paul's random friend Don moved to Los Angeles. And my <laughs> uncle, he'll be at a party with like his boys, and they'll be talking about Donnie, and like, when was it he left? And like, oh, let me call Steve. He knows the exact date he left. And they'll call me up. And I'll be like, yeah, it was, you know, January 88. I was watching the main event. Because they stopped over my house because he wanted to say bye to my mom. And I, I remember I was I would uh, throw a pillow on the ground. And I would put my, like, arms up on my chin around the pillow. And my legs would, like, kick the couch. That's, like, how I would sit on the floor in front of the TV. And uh, the TV was legitimate furniture. You know, it was this big yeah. wood thing that was more wood than screen, really. Uh, but we thought it was huge. You know, like we thought we had the big screen TV. It's probably 27 inches or something in reality, but it weighed 640 pounds. <laughs> um, and I remember my brother Greg was about two years old. So he was nothing but a pain in the ass. I remember him like crawling around, you know, being around, like, and me thinking, like, why isn't he in bed? 
you know, um, just really annoying the piss out of me. My brother, brother wasn't born yet. And I just remember, you know, like the guys were drinking beers. You know, it was Danny's last night in Buffalo. He's starting a new life, or Donnie, he's starting a new life tomorrow. And uh, and and I'm just watching the matches, and I'm telling those guys, you know, like Hulk has been the champion since you know '84. He's already beat Andre once, you know. And, and for me, and I'm going to ask you this. Uh, we'll go around the horn with this. I'll start it. And the question is, kind of, when did you first know Hulk might be in trouble? And for me, it's when all those guys came out, you know. And I remember saying, like, it's supposed to be Hulk versus Andre. Why are there three other guys? Why why is DiBiase out there? And Ver- why are all these guys out? Because I knew they weren't just out there to watch, you know, and that they were going to get involved. They're going to cheat. And that was the first time when I seen all those guys, I thought Hulk might be in trouble because it's a lot different than just Bobby at WrestleMania when it's two legitimate wrestlers. And even though DiBiase was kind of portrayed as a bodyguard, not necessarily a wrestler, he was still portrayed as someone tough enough to guard the body of the guy with all the money. So to me, it looked like an uphill battle. What about you, uh, Johnny? What was your first inkling watching it? Like, oh, this could actually change tonight. No, uh, very, very similar. Uh, the big difference between uh, the WrestleMania three match and this was uh, you nailed it. I had the same, uh, the same thing stuck out as all the uh, interference and the shenanigans with Virgil and, uh, and Teddy. And uh, cause, uh, you know, big difference with the WrestleMania three match. It was just straight up one on one. Like Bobby didn't even didn't even get involved at all. So that was the that was a huge difference. Uh, I, I guess it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost a year later, Andre's definitely uh, physical condition definitely deteriorated. That that was about five or ten years uh, of deterioration in that one year for for Paul Andre. So big difference there. The, his lack of uh, mobility. Was, now, Dave, you said out. you went into the night thinking he might be in trouble, right? Yeah, we had a lot of inside stuff here, uh, uh, living near New York City and stuff. A lot of the older kids at school, I was in second grade, as you were, and a lot of the older kids at school would be teasing me, like, oh, you know, his wife's pregnant, which she really was. Brooke was born in May. You know, uh, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. He's not going to be in wrestling forever. Like, like all, all that kind of shit was already, was already going around. And uh, they actually had a... Um, the magazine, April 88, which would come out in March. They'd always be a month ahead. They had the press release in, Hogan's title stolen for that for that match. And I think, I didn't know who Meltzer was at the time or anything like that, but somebody, it got around. And people were saying, oh, you know, it was in the newspaper that uh, they were, um, they sent it to some press pressing uh, publishing company, Hogan's title stolen. And all this come out, I was like, nah, nah, you know, I wasn't believing any of it or anything like that, but it really got, you know, people are really busting my balls. I mean, I'm the guy that in the summer of 1987 only wore a Hulkamania shirt. When my mom had to wash it, I'd run around shirtless. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I was in, I was in on uh, Hulkamaniac uh, on the block and in the school, even though there was a lot more as well. But, uh, yeah, that on this one, they were really, uh, they were really on me saying, uh, the, this is it. So well, I, think for me, I, it. I told you this before, Dave, that, my uncle told me before WrestleMania three that he had read in the newspaper that Andre was going to beat Hulk and insisted right. it was, he was telling, Oh, it's predetermined. It's already set. I read it in the newspaper. And then when that didn't happen, it really ruined everyone else's credibility. Yeah. So sure. what Anyone said to me, I just wrote it off as bullshit because they already came at me once with this nonsense and you know, Hulk won. He didn't lose. And my grandfather, 
who was not a great guy. I thought he was for a long time. He was uh, he came over from Italy. He he was fleeing Italy because he had pissed off um, a tough guy in Italy for cheating on his daughter. So he had to get the hell on the. The guy told him you get on the next boat or you're dead tomorrow. So he got that's how he came here. He had my grandmother. He had another family, but he loved wrestling, and he would tell your grandfather was Tony Soprano. He would tell everyone in the family that wrestling is real and that football was fake. And I just started, I did I like just watched my first Saints game like this month uh, against the Vikings, the same month. So I was more skeptical that football was fake than wrestling at this point. But uh, Ryan, you obviously go into it with a different perspective because you have history. You, you know the, the outcome, but yeah, on the rewatch, especially yeah. leading up to this, they did a really good job of building the foundation of getting to the, to the title match, you know, they, right away they with Vince and Jesse, obviously Vince on Hogan's side saying this is the biggest rematch in wrestling history, really. And then Jesse saying it's about time we get some damn justice. Andre was cheated out of yeah. his victory. They show the video package with foggy rose colored glasses of <sighs> everyone sees Hulk's arms up. The ref Joey Morella, that cheapskate mother effer. Yeah. You know, in Hogan's pocket, you know, that's really cute that they said he's in Hogan's pocket when they yeah. get the Hebner twins in theirs. And then Jesse, you know, being blind to the baby faces and being that dick, dipshit heel he is, you know, siding with Andre when Andre, when the referee actually counted three, but Hogan's arm was up in the match early on. That's early on in the match, too, where Andre just falls on him and, you know, really sets the tone for this rematch right away. So they did a good job of laying the foundation. Even the promos building up to the match where DiBiase was like, I've got the biggest money, the best facilities. The I've got Andre ready. Money can't buy this match, pretty much what he said without <laughs> saying it in retrospect. So they did a really good job of laying the foundation of how we got to the finish of this match. So from from watching it, from my point of view, I really uh, I, I appreciate how they got us here. Now, I thought, this is obviously the era where wrestlers had pretty much all freedom in their promos, but it's pretty widely known that NBC would script a lot of the promos on Saturday's main event and the main event, or just maybe add lines. A lot of the they're real punny. They would do a lot of that kind of thing. And I thought they did a really good job here uh, with the promos in general on the show. I know that earlier our friends have talked about the honky tonk match and, and with macho, a great match in itself, but I remember being very restless I remember I could compare it to being at a Pearl Jam concert when the opening band's on. You know, it's like it's for me, it's almost like Led Zeppelin could be up there. But like yeah, you want to hold it on. I want to get to you know what I mean? I want to get to it, you know, like give me release, you know, give me the first song. Like I'm ready for Pearl Jam. And on this night, I was ready for Hulk and Andre. And I remember being very restless during the uh during the match and the commercials and the promos. And when the match finally starts, my fears are immediately justified because right away Hogan has to fight Ted and yeah. Virgil, right? The first people that Hulk engages with, engages with is them. Then goes to Andre. And right away, the tone is set. Hulk is wrestling all three of them, you know, not just Andre. Let's talk a little bit about the eight minutes or so from Bell to finish you know let's like kind of stop at the finish um the wrestlemania three match you know famously given negative six stars by that idiot Meltzer, um is a really i think very good match and and jad p- 
pointed out that the, the year has slowed Andre quite a bit. He's not even in as good a shape, I don't think, as he was a year ago. But I thought, I watched it last night, first time I'd watched it in a long time. Um, I don't watch the Hulk losses over very often. Uh, but I, I sat down for the first time, maybe since the network came out. So or, fortunately, some of his best matches, the Warrior and the Rock. Yeah, the, the Warrior yeah. one. Oh, I haven't watched in yeah. a decade. Um, but uh, we but know what, what you about got. the first eight and a half, nine minutes before the finish? You know, how did everybody feel they pulled it off? Because I kind of found it in the rewatch. The, what was happening in the ring was almost secondary to the buzz around it. Mm-hmm. You know, the crowd was so buzzed and there was so much energy, maybe even nervous energy like I had. Through the whole match, you can hear people screaming or whistling or there was a real tense. How about the belt change and him doing the interview with the old belt, then coming yeah, out coming out with the winged like, eagle? Something just seemed funny. Something yep. seemed off. Like, fuck, something's going to, excuse me, something's going to something's gonna happen here tonight. Like, something yeah. strange is going down, and it sure did, right? J.D., what did you think of the eight minutes they put in before the finish? How did you think it went? Maybe compared to WrestleMania three, maybe you regardless of that. But what did you think about the actual work that Hulk and Andre put in to tell the story before the finish? Yeah, the, the work was adequate. I would I would put it a notch below the uh, the WrestleMania match. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Because of what we we spoke about with the you know with the shenanigans and the interference, but uh, and and also Andre. But the the there was a, it was a lot more uh, succinct. Uh, as the uh, the WrestleMania three match had that long bear hug spot, which uh, right. you know, for prime for prime time they 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 cut off the spots like that to keep it moving. And, uh, yeah. The, the, so it it seemed like it was it was a lot more uh, you know a lot more paced uh, paced a lot better. What do you think, uh, Dave? Uh, well, I think it was a completely different kind of match than the WrestleMania three match. This one was way more fast paced. Hogan was running around the whole time, hitting DiBiase, hitting Virgil, stomping his hand. The money went flying all that kind of stuff, and just trying to knock Andre down. Uh, WrestleMania 3 was a little more methodical in the approach to it, and Andre was beating up Hulk a, a lot more at, at WrestleMania 3. This was like just Hulk kind of just on fire, but then it all just falls apart uh, for him at the end because of the penny-pinching two-time and referee, you know? Well, so uh, I think the WrestleMania 3 match told told a better story, but this, well, I don't know. I just said this is the greatest angle ever, right? So I, I, yeah. Hulk is going for an early knockout in the in the commentary you know yeah. he's really going for it ryan and ryan maybe you can speak to this i kind of felt like it reminded me of like sudden death in an nhl playoff game or um extra time in a soccer game it felt like it could end at any second like it just always had that buzz and that pace like it wasn't gonna be long something was gonna give it kind of felt like and the crowd seemed to feel that way too yeah a lot of urgency really a lot of yeah. urgency, a lot of striking and hell, we even got like Hogan off the second rope. That was oh, I forgot to say knocked, that. Yeah, yeah. He knocked Andre down on that second rope. I was like, wow, that's he even that's tried the top, brother. He tried the top too. That's a yeah. real rarity. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, it's only eight minutes, but it's urgent. It's it's frantic. Um, it's it's paced to what Andre can do. But you know, like always, Hogan did a really good job of selling his ass off, getting ready for that finish. So the last minute now, I'm watching last night with Paula, and she makes the comment. Hulk, you're wrestling Andre. Watch Andre because Hulk finds himself a little distracted with the outside stuff. Virgil's grabbing his leg. DiBiase's pulling the ref. Yep. And that's what I feared as an, as a seven-year-old. And Paula caught it last night. 
as a seven-year-old. That Hulk got a little distracted. Andre creeps in, you know, gives him the headbutts, the suplex. Not exactly Brock Lesnar quality, <laughs> but he's got the suplex on. After four Hulk years, that's going to beat him, right? <laughs> he gets the suplex, gets on top of him. Took him a second to get on top of him, too. Um, but he gets he gets the job done, and, and the ref counts one. And clear as day, and uh, props to Kevin Dunn or whoever else is directing this. They have the shot perfect. Because anyone with eyeballs can see that as soon as one comes, Hulk's up. Yeah. Everybody can see it. And they also did a good job of, and maybe this is Hepner as a I guess he didn't even argue it. He was like, hey, the ref counted three. That's yeah. it. You know, yeah. too bad. Uh, Hepner did a good job, I think, of putting him in a position where it'd be reasonable to think maybe he didn't see it. You know, because he's kind of on the opposite, he's kind of right next to that shoulder, maybe focused on the other one. But I thought the blocking was good, the setup is good here. And Hogan's arm is clearly up, but he counts three, and the bell rings. And this is where I think the masterpiece is written right here. This 45 seconds of what is happening, what happened? Because I know his shoulders was up. You know his shoulder was up. But we heard the bell. The ref left the ring. Mean Gene has showed up over here for some reason. Rare. Rare, No, the ref has the bell. What is happening? What what is happening? And then finally, hear from Fink, what is happening? And now I want to go back sort of that other question, but the other end of the match. J.A.D., you start this time. What was your reaction when you realized, holy shit, four years is over, Hogan just dropped the belt? Yeah, well, my reaction was after all that, the the uh, the finish could have a little bit been a, you know, a lot better. with Andre. You know, Andre could have gave a more devastating move, but unfortunately he was limited but also how about you know let's stretch out the drama a little man never mind uh you know how about hogan the performer you know nobody kicks out at one better than a hulk uh, you know how, how about yeah. maybe stretch it out to two at least uh, but he had to show everybody that he had to kick out at yeah. one with you well let me play devil's advocate on that though for you john and you can push back which is i think will be good I will. <laughs> isn't the point that he couldn't possibly be beaten there yeah. right isn't the point that they wanted to make sure it came across that it was up in case. Yeah, he's it, up. He kicked yeah, out at one. It was. It was. It wasn't a devastating move. Hulk was clearly up. That's kind of the point of the finish, right? They fucked him. They screwed him. And if it's this death-defying Brock Lesnar suplex, you know, and Hogan is dazed and out and bon- bonsai drop or something, two and seven quarters. Well, he was basically beat. I don't know. I think. I don't think that's Hogan being a showboat. I think that's Hogan playing off that he was cheated. Ryan, you want to push back on that? Now, do you? I agree. I agree that uh, I'm more with the latter there. That it was they are emphasizing that he was his arm was up, and that it, they were do, doing that type of finish. Now, do you remember when in the WrestleMania three match Hogan put his shoulder up when they because they, they did the same spot, but the ref caught it. Oh, that, that was in the first, was, like, two minutes. That was in the first. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. was he up at two or was he up at one? Like one, and, one and three quarters. I mean, yeah. It was a little before two, but it's kind of like he squeaked out. It wasn't It wasn't one of these. It was kind of more like a kick out a little right. more. Well, they it's over, a little different. Over-dramatized yeah. this time around to kind of put a. No, the WrestleMania match was yeah. definitely on a two and a half. Uh, you yeah. Know, yeah, it was much there. Dave, what was your reaction? barely at one where, you know. Yeah, he's up better than he did to uh, Power and Glory in uh, in a future spices. <laughs> he killed their careers when you know, they, 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 All they, right, they, 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 the power play. Uh, he ended that career right there. But it is Hulk Hogan, though. It's not. 
It's not he like it was a uh, hillbilly gym kicking out of it, you know? Dave, um, what did you think when you realized that, holy shit, it's over, he's not the champ anymore? I remember uh, throwing a few haymakers at my dad's arm because he liked he liked the bad guys, but he liked Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan wrestled like a, ba- a bad guy, fought for fire with fire. And uh, so he always tell me, you know, I don't, you know, I don't like Santana, I don't like Steamboat, I don't like da 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 da. But uh, you know, Hogan, yeah, Hogan's cool. You know, he's he's a badass in in there. But he got yeah, up because he, Hogan cheats just like a bad guy. Exactly. Jesse would always so, point out, raking the so, eyes. And, so yeah, he yeah. so he he jumped up and cheered. And as I was running up the stairs to like run away from it all, like it didn't happen, <laughs> I threw a couple shots at him, and I think I, I think I got uh had to stay in that weekend. The wooden you know. spoon came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they actually made a cat and nine tails for me two years later in 1990. That uh, reminds me when the, the Saints here were in Super Bowl Different 44. times, man. Uh, when the Saints were in Super Bowl 44, I had a party at my house. And my one uncle thought he could come to the party and like, oh, I bet on the Colts. I got to cheer the Colts. And when they scored the first touchdown, he started cheering. He can't get kicked the fuck out. Uh, you got to go. <laughs> I could not imagine if someone – I think you did well. If my dad would have stood up in that moment and started taunting me that Hulk lost the belt, yeah. I would have done more than a couple shots. It's, it's, I remember right now, exactly. It was when Howard Finkel said, and news! Oh. He knew first. We loved when he did that. You know what I mean? So My, mom was, like, me. my mom was like in tears. She, cause, not because she was upset Hulk lost the belt, because she was upset what a dis- like what a disaster I was going to be the next five. Yeah, days. my sisters were like in. Uh, I have three old, three older sisters. They were in like junior high school and high school that age, you yeah. know. And I was in second grade. And wherever they were at parties, a friend's house, whatever, this was on. The phone rang all three times. How's David? How's he yeah. doing? You know, like yeah, my mom knew it was WWF title. I you know? my mom knew it was going to be good because she had gotten the report for what happened when Steamboat lost about how I acted yeah. with that. You know, uh, at least I wasn't in Indianapolis on this night. Uh, but, yeah, I remember hearing the him say it and the floor, going to the floor, pounding the floor uh, or my pillow on the floor and just be and just being in disbelief. I you thought know? maybe they would restart the match or something or I, I just I couldn't believe it when it was the show went off the air. It was like, and you know, that then the next day on Superstars and Challenge, they couldn't talk about it. Remember, they came yeah. out and bleep it out because they did the commentary already. Like, oh my God! Like, I can't even get. I I don't think I went to school that Monday. You know, I I, I couldn't get any satisfaction. Time off. Yeah, like I thought like, okay, night. superstars on at eleven tomorrow morning. Boom! I'll find out what happened. Hulk, they're gonna give Hulk's belt back. You know, they got, and then they can't talk about it. I'm like losing. My, I had high high blood pressure at seven years old. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, after the announcement, uh, Andre Fourth, it's the tag team championship to Diaby. Yeah, what is. is that? I mean, Andre's. I mean, he's hard to understand, but he's not a stupid person. He said it. I, he said it twice. I, yeah, he I know. Twice. He said it twice. <laughs> and, I mean, I know you can misspeak, you know, like, but but, but to say it twice, I mean, it was a rib <laughs> of some kind. Yeah, I, if, I, Jack, I, if Jack Tony had any balls, he, he should have said, "Hey, uh, Andre, Andre surrendered the tag team title." Yeah, <laughs> this is not the tag team title. This is the heavyweight. That so actually. If we could go back in hindsight, right? Right now, we wouldn't even need a tournament WrestleMania for well, Jack Tony. I surrender. <laughs> and then he should have picked a bet, you know, an easier word to say than surrender. Yeah. <laughs> so Andre surrenders about, and then they kind of hightail out, at, you know, at least initially, so that Hulk 
can have the ring slap your brothers. So Hulk could be the, you know, because Hulk yeah. could be the bully and, you know, like the sole loser that he is. And uh, Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure you'd handle it really well if your title was stolen to you by a guy who had plastic surgery to look like the ref. So I'd could... suck it. I'd suck it up to man the rematch and just. Oh, yeah. and, 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 you know they really didn't look that much alike either because Dave had the belly. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah, like, they look alike, but it's like, eh. you know what Hulk's I mean. Set, not, poor I example. did a call. Not exactly. Hulk set a poor example. You know, I just, and instead of just uh, asking for a rematch and winning it back, you know, he's got to say, "Oh, I was cheated." You know, I think it was a little throwback to Rocky Three too. With throwing him out of the ring because like people like watching this people watching this that may have only seen Hulk Hogan from Rocky Three, you know, so it's like to what he, you know doing that again, yeah. that same that same spot. So I think that was a little a little throwback, a little nod to yeah. that. Hulk got some air under that under the Hebner there. I mean, they he miss yeah. over the guy. That was uh, it was yeah. it was working out to that Jake the Snake music. It was actually before it was Jake the Snake's music. A lot of people don't know that Jake wasn't using it yet. Oh yeah, they showed that earlier in the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah the workout video. Yeah, yeah. It's practically softcore porn. Um, Hulk Hogan porn. There. I don't know if I follow that. All right, we have the squats, maybe. <laughs> I was like, all right, like I see it. Uh, it, went, it felt like it went on too long the other night when I watched it. I was like, all right, you know, like, the music's great. The music works with that though. It's great. That, that's great. Like, that's that's great. not one they have to change. Yeah. Um, look at. I know what it's like to have my team cheated out of a chance. To go to a Super Bowl, and uh, I'll never get over it. the other end of that time. Get over it. I will never get over that. I'm over the music, the Minnesota Miracle, whatever it's called, with Diggs. We got beat. The rookie, he made, he fucked up. We got beat. I'll never get over the St. Louis game because we were cheated, and this is that. You know what I mean? To be cheated, it's a different level of losing. And all those people who say to me, "Get over the 2018 title game," I say, "All right, but wait till it happens to your team." Then we'll see who wants to get over it. But it's really tough when you're cheated. And I know as a as a seven-year-old, I felt like my guy was cheated. And immediately I went to, okay, he's, he's got to get it back. And and I knew WrestleMania was soon. And I said, well, he's got to get part, he's got to get a chance to get it back at WrestleMania. You know, I didn't, I wasn't clear who had it. I didn't know. Because they said right away, Vince said, we'll have to check on that to see if you can actually give the right. Like, right. Yeah, know, that's that's that. what I meant by I, I, I was like staying up all night waiting for superstars. Yeah. Thinking that. Yeah. So right away, my head went to, you know, where do we go from here? And he's got to get it back because to me, he had to be the champ. But it would be a while, obviously, that we'd have to wait to get it back. April 89, when, you know. Right. See, uh, and years later, the uh, Nash, uh, you know, learned the, uh, the lesson, the mistake that uh, DiBiase made with the finger poke of doom. Uh, oh, know, I love that. that. I might be the only person in the world that loved that. I, I watch that all the time. Watch over it. and over and over. Bischoff doing a with a thing on Goldberg. Oh, my God. Love it. <laughs> so, uh, Steve, as we get out of here, let's play yeah. this, let's play this uh, Hogan interview after. Yeah, let's hear it, Hogan. Yeah, let's hear what he had to say after. That sounds like Hulk Horn. Hulk Horn. <laughs> 
pitch it two time and referee how much money on the plastic surgery how much money did he spend to pay the referee off when I turned around me Gene they were identical identical hey, oh. right here hold here it look is now older, brother that's, look at the shoulder the referee has paid off brother look at the hundred dollar bill fall out that's that's the best part what a that's a great moment the hundred dollar bills falling falling out of his pockets would make it. That might be the best sense. acting in his life. I mean, oh my god! So that's good. how I felt. That's how I felt after the NFC Championship game. That yeah. was me. You see Blackjack Lanza over there hanging out in the corner. Yep, I, yeah, that's a great promo. That's all just oh, fastball. I also here. really want to know what happened with um because uh, obviously on the network now they show the ending, the Strike Force and Heart yeah. Foundation. But on NBC that night, I don't know if Ryan knows this, it, it was actually cut off. Yeah. They just started yeah. wrestling, and it, and it just got cut off. So yeah. actually part of me was waiting for that result, which never came. That We knew that uh, Strikeforce was still, still the champions, obviously, but they, that never came. They never said who, who won that match. And that TV was never actually available yeah. until the network, right? That was the first time. Never. Was, no, it was the first yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, so was that 13, 2013, 14, when the 14, network came out? 14, yeah. yeah that's, so that – I mean, we all assumed Strike Force won because they stayed the champs. But well, yeah, it could have been, yeah. been in count out or yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, it, historic night, you know, history. Um, one of the the biggest nights in history of the business. Um, the most watched. It will be forever the most watched. Still, it was a 15, uh, 15 something, thirty-three million, thirty-three million, a fifteen point something rating. That's nuts. Yeah. Untouchable, yeah. And now, I mean, now they get uh, AEW doesn't even do one point rating. So just think about that. Thirty seconds because we didn't do enough of it. JD, you handle it. Thirty seconds on Andre and his greatness here and and what he brought to it because we focused on Hulk a lot. And I know he's not in the best shape or whatever, but thirty seconds on the greatness of Andre, which maybe people overlook sometimes. Well, just every move that he made was like important and devastating. Maybe not so much a uh, towards the end, but like like you know the, his headbutts and uh, every every single move was important. He don't waste uh, he don't waste no moves in the ring. So. When he headbutted Hulk, I thought Hulk's head was going to explode twice. Yeah. You know what I mean? You thought he's dead from that. I mean, I remember Leaping Lanny, poor uh, Leaping Lanny, yeah. getting carted out of there, just blood oozing everywhere from Andre's freaking headbutts. Um, and I actually talk about it on three by five, you know, opponents that scared me with Hulk and Andre's the guy that scared me the most because like you say, every single thing he does to you could kill you. He's a giant. I, I just wish we had, you know, more, more of a, like 84 where he could do that splash, you know, where he could do the big butt splash yeah. or uh, yeah, know, yeah. 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 In the cage. He wasn't <laughs> in, the, in, the shape, in the shape. All right. Cronoso uh, monthly. Thanks to Dave and to JD and Ryan and, to me, uh, catch us all around the horn, and I think we got more, so let's uh, hand it off. Bye now. Later. What's up, Cronoso and the North-South Connection? This is Mike Rossi, and I am getting what was the final match on the main event that was at February 1988, and this was between Strike Force and the Heart Foundation. Now, while this was a <laughs> main event, uh, a Hogan promo took precedence over it. So they showed the Strike Force and Hart Foundation getting into the ring, and then they cut back to Hogan in the back, who's cutting this crazy promo about getting screwed. 
And then at that point, they, you know, go back to the ring while the match is already underway. Um, as they're doing that, Brett's pretty much in the ring with Martel, Rick D'Amato Martel at that point as a member of Strike Force. Martel throws a punch, Brett sells for him, then Anvil intervenes to help Brett, gives Hard Foundation the control back. Tito's able to then run in to break it up while Brett hits Martel with a uh, pretty pretty pile driver and a cover. Martel kicks out a two. Vince then calls the show off the air, says that uh, this match will have to continue. We're out of time. Um, they continue to show the match, though, as the credits run. Um, and then Brett goes for an Irish rip, whip against Martel. Martel ducks it, gets control of it himself, turns it into a roll-up for three, and that ends the match. Brett fell for three in probably about, I don't know, a minute and 12 seconds or so of an actual match. Uh, pretty odd number I just picked, but it was probably about right. Um, the announcers have already signed off. The credits have already been run. And then it just goes to black. So this entire segment made all four of these guys look like just complete J-Brones. And even worse for Brett, having getting pinned the way he did, uh, Martel was selling for him one minute and then pinning him the, the next. And there was really no offense that led to it. So... Um, this was uh, obviously a moment where they ran out of time because the Hogan shit went too long. But, you know, I don't know why they even put it on the air, to be honest with you. They could have just run a promo or something for the last literal minute and a half of the show. Uh, but they opted to show the match anyways. So it uh, should have been a dark match, and it probably would have been better. And But we also wouldn't be talking about it then because it wouldn't be on the broadcast. So, All right, that's all I got. Later, guys. Hello, North-South Connection. I'm here talking about the state of the WWE and the location for this March 1998 Saturday Night's Main Event. And to be honest, don't have to really talk much about what has happened because as you just heard, we do not have a heavyweight champion, which to me, it was the best 13th birthday present that a guy can have because I definitely was not a Hulk Hogan mark. Anyway, tonight's Saturday night's main event is taking place in the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. It is an indoor sports and concert venue held in Nashville, Tennessee. It opened in October 7th, 1962 with a both an arena and an exhibition hall. The former exhibition hall became the permanent home to the Musicians Hall of Fame in 2013. It holds about 9,700 people, which is not bad for this type of event. It has been home to such great sports teams, such as the Nashville Dixie Flyers in the EHL, the Nashville South Stars in the CHL, Nashville Knights, Nashville Stars in the WBL, the Music City Jammers in the GBA, I don't know what that is, but the Nashville Nighthawks and Ice Flowers for the 
NHL, the Nashville Noise of the reincarnated ABL, the Belmont Bruins from the NCAA, they're only for three years though, the Nashville Roller Girls from 2006 to 2019, that is the one team that has stayed there the longest. We have the Nashville Bronx of the ABA, Nashville Venom of the PIFL, and the Nashville Knights of the LFL. It has had some amazing events that has happened. The venue hosted the CMA Awards in 1967, something called the Volunteer Jam in 1976 and 1985, a WCW Wrestle War in 1989, and this is also home to the future No Holds Barred, the match, the movie. In 1989, it also hosted Starcade for 1994 to 1996, and In Your House, the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, Super Bowl 2001, Slammiversary 2007, Lockdown in 2012, the CMT Music Awards in 2022, and of course, and also, this is the great place where Ric Flair's last match happened. Well, anyway, it is now time. For your main event. Or Saturday's main event. Oh, and one more thing. It is also the debut of the iconic Saturday night's main event. And for my money, this is one of the best themes for a show that WWE has ever had. Take it away. Hey, everyone. This is the Down Under Thunder. Dave Hall. As we continue... Our journey today on the Cronoso, we're launching into the actual Saturday night's main event from March 1988. And as always, Saturday night's main event kicks off with a series of quick, quick promo interviews. And to get us started in this episode, this March episode, 1988, the Macho Man is present with Liz And he's telling everyone that tonight when he faces the Million Dollar Man, there is no room in the danger zone for the Million Dollar Man's money. Now, I love this uh, this little uh, promo clip because if we hop back to the last couple of episodes of Saturday Night's main event, uh, where he's wrestling Honky and Bret Hart and all that, we were getting a lot of hype of Macho being in the danger zone. And I thought this was a... I really feel this was a good concept. It's a shame. I don't think they keep it. And I we'll see as we move through the 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 Cronoso journey whether or not the danger zone keeps making an appearance. But but I quite like the danger zone. There's no room for the million dollar man in Macho Man's danger zone. There's not room for many people in the danger zone with Macho and Liz. And uh yeah, that's that's one of his that's one of the great things about Macho. DiBiase, well, he's got his comeback promo because he thinks Macho's taken too many guitar shots to the head. I love it. I love the callback to that Honky Tonk Man series as we move out of Savage and Honky and into the future direction for the for, for Savage. I think DiBiase calling that Macho's taken too many guitar shots to the head was real fun. And, um, and, and DiBiase's going to bring some class, he says. He's bringing class to the ring. Um, well, you know, he, he was a he was a classy wrestler, and uh, you can't deny how good he was in the ring. Brutus the Barber Beefcake appears. Look, I'm not going to get much of this. He just makes a whole pile of haircutting puns, and and it's really it actually starts to grate on me when I hear it. Uh, 
Now, they, I just wish they'd cut it out. Really do. Uh, one man gang, one man gang, and Slick are up next. And uh, Slick says that he has an Olympic update for everyone because tonight, Kemba Terra is going to be just like every other US Olympic athlete. He's going to lose. Now, I want to be really careful for all my all the listeners out there because I'm an Aussie. So obviously, being an Aussie. I'm going to cheer the Aussies, and I quite like that little that little pot shot at the American athletes. I know America tend to dominate Olympic game uh, competitions and and win win a lot of medals. Um, I'm pretty certain though at the last Olympic Games in the swimming pool, Australia may have won more medals than the US. Maybe we'll see what happens next time. But I actually like that little promo from Slick. It's good fun. Then we rounded off with what's what's obviously our main event for the evening. The King Harley races with Bobby Heenan. You know what? Every time the King appears on uh, on on WWF television, he just looks older and older. Um, Heenan says that Hogan is going to be on his knees before Harley race after this match. Um, and race says that Hogan is either going to bow. Or break. Now that's a little ironic. Uh, that's a little ironic when we when we find out what happens later in the show and uh, and what happens to Harley coming out of the show. So yeah, someone certainly got broken at this event. I'm not sure it was the Hulkster. Hogan comes in. He's not going to break. He's not going to break. In fact, he says that. Race will be crowned like he's never been crowned before. And I guess that's a little prophetic. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens when, 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 we, when we hear what happens later on this episode of Chrono. So we're going to find out what happens. We then cross back to the arena. Vince welcomes us to Nashville, Tennessee, and he welcomes Jesse. And, well, Vince throws out the claim that he's actually from the South. He doesn't sound like he's from the South. We know he doesn't live in the South. And his business isn't based in the South. Is Vince trying to be relatable? Jesse, Jesse with the great comeback, he says that Vince has the IQ for it. And um, and he's a redneck as well. So, you know, obviously, look, I, I know, look, I don't live in America, guys. I don't know what, it's like to live in the South. And I don't know. I know, I know that most Southerners uh, aren't rednecks and, and don't have low IQs, but Jesse, Jesse's always good for a laugh. Jesse and Vince then recap the main event, uh, which we've heard about just before, just before in this, the first half of this episode. Uh, we heard about that. We see the rundown of, um, of the footage. We get the footage of, um, of Hogan and Andre, Jesse calls it the doctored footage. And and I love it. Jesse comes out and says, looking at the footage, he's not even sure that that footage was taken in Indianapolis. Oh, Jesse's just great. Just, just so good. Um, they show the pin, they show the shenanigans. You, you've heard it earlier this episode. We're not going to get into all that again. But uh, they highlight the fact that it's going to be resolved at WrestleMania, that Hogan is going and, and is going to resolve it at WrestleMania. But for the moment, we are going to go to the ring. 
And so, for everyone listening, it is time to go to the ring as Saturday night's main event continues, and so does the Cronoso. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cronoso Monthly. My name is Keithy Langston here, and we are talking about the Saturday night's main event. Of course, I'm talking about from March 12th, 1988, and this is... Uh, quietly, no one really made a big deal out of it at the time, but this is the explosion of the dream team. That's right, I'm talking about this matchup here is Brutus the Bobber Beefcake against Greg the Hammer Valentine. Now, I'm going to do a real quick little recap of the dream team, just in case no one if, no one out there in Listen Land and uh, for Cronoso knows. But prior to the creation of the dream team, Greg Valentine, who was managed at who was managed by Captain Lou Abano, had won the Intercontinental Championship from Tito Santana, and he was in the middle of a brutal feud with Tan- Santana at the time. In the midst of that feud, Jimmy Hart took over m- most of Al- Albino's managing duties while Valentine was still the champion, and Brutus Beefcake had entered in the WWF in 1984 under the management of Johnny Valiant. Uh, managers Johnny Valiant and Jimmy Hart first put Greg Valentine and Bruce Beefcake Beefcake together in May of 85, and early on, Beefcake teamed with Valentine to fight off Tito Santana and the Junkyard Dog, both high-ranked contenders for Valentine's Intercontinental title. In Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens on April 21st, 1985, the Dream Team lost to Santana and Ricky Steamboat in approximately 15 minutes, uh, which many consider one of the best tag team matches of the 80s. So there's that for you. This match appears on WWF Coliseum Home Videos release Best of the WWF Volume 4. And on July 6, 1985, Santana regained the Intercontinental title in a steel cage match. And shortly afterwards, the Dream Team set their sights on reigning the WWF World on the reigning World Tag Team Champions, the US Express, which was Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda. Not long after Johnny Valiant became the sole manager of the Dream Team, the two started to team more and more regularly. Their initial shots uh, of the tag team champions were unsuccessful, but on August 24th, my birthday, at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, the Dream Team won the tag titles from the U.S. Express when Beefcake rubbed J- Luscious Johnny's lit cigar and Wyndham's eyes. Um, it's funny that it has an edit as it's only a storyline. I'm pretty sure that it was only a storyline and not real. <laughs> Immediately after the title win, the Dream Team were challenged by the British Bulldogs and often escaping with their titles due to underhanded means. Besides defending against the Bulldogs, the Dream Teams also put the gold on the line against such teams as the Killer Bees, as well as the former champions, the U.S. Express. Uh, the Bulldogs remained a constant threat to the Dream Team as 85 turned into 86, and finally the Dream Team agreed to give the Bulldogs their final tag team shot at WrestleMania 2. And on April 7th, 1986, as they met in the Chicago section of WrestleMania, the addition of the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne, was just too much for the Dream Team to overcome, and the Bulldogs finally ran uh, ran them over and won the gold. It was, uh, I believe, called uh, The Nightmare by Gorilla Monsoon, so we forever called it The Nightmare in Chicago for the Dream Team. Uh, we followed up. At, we moved forward to WrestleMania three, where the Dream Team and the Rougeos clashed, and the Dream Team won due to Dino Bravo's interference. After the match, Dino and Greg Valentine argued with Beefcake, kicking him off the team, and thus ended the original Dream Team. 
We don't need to talk about the new Dream Team because anything with Dino Bravo in it pretty much sucks as far as I'm concerned. So what we'll do is we'll kick off now and we'll start talking about the match on March 12th, 1988, over a year, almost a year to the day of when the Dream Team exploded. And we're going to be having this big match. Now we cut back to Mean Gene Oakland in the back with Greg the Hammer Valentine once again being managed by Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart. And they're sitting here running their mouths and talking about just what Greg the Hammer Valentine is going to do, in fact, to Brutus Beefcake in this matchup. And, of course, it's not, you know, he's not going to get a haircut and everything. Brutus Beefcake in the middle of a big feud right now with the Honky Tonk Man, uh, which was, of course, leading up to their matchup at WrestleMania 4. So this is kind of a warm-up match with another one of the Hart, Hart family members going up against Brutus Beefcake. Of course, you know, with Beefcake being the barber, uh, sometimes affectionately known as the Barber of Buckman Street as well. And that's a joke if anybody, any of you here listen to GFA Live, you'd know that Brutus Beefcake played poker one night in my in my house when I used to live in Woburn. Uh, I was not there, however. But, uh, you know, we go down now. We see Greg Valentine is coming down. Uh, Jimmy Hart, no music. Greg Valentine really didn't have many music, I think, until... Well, he would come down to the Honky Tonk Man's music. He was kind of the kind of guy that he would come down to... Another person's music, if he was teaming with them or if he happened to be on a Survivor Series team, really wasn't until I think Jimmy, I think Greg Valentine turned face in 91 that they got that, he got that weird music that started off with like a hammer shot and then kind of went into this little beat. Uh, we go back to Mean Gene in a different area <laughs> where he's now he's now interviewing Brutus Beefcake. He's not talking about Beefcake's package in this one, but he is, he is kind of interested to see what Beefcake's going to do to Jimmy Hart. Uh, as well as Greg Valentine. More concerned, I think, about is what he's going to do with Jimmy Hart and how, how he's going to get his hands on that, you know, that little runt, that little rodent, so to speak. But, of course, we know that we know Brutus Beefcake is getting prepared. He's ready. He's really willing, able to go out there. And now we're leading out to Brutus the Barber, Brutus the Barber Man, uh, the Booty Man, the Beefcake, the the disciple whatever you want to give him that whatever nickname suits beefcake best he's coming down um beefcake not coming down any music really either so he hasn't gotten his awesome brutus the beefcake man song which i like that that comes in i think in 89 really i don't even think it's in 88 as much but uh of course beefcake is the he has the shears and the shears are as oh they're so nice and shiny and ready to go i mean this is this is a great matchup. Uh, we got we got it looks like Dave Hebner is actually refereeing. I think that's Dave. I don't think that's Earl, but we got Dave in the ring. Could be Earl, but it looks like it's Dave. Uh, I I always find it funny that so quickly after, I mean they didn't even waste no time after after the main event with having Earl and Dave in the ring re refereeing. Like it was almost like it never happened. Like we're supposed to forget that there was this big, you know, twin referee thing and. Earl was paid off and all that and whatnot. So now the matchup started. Uh, Dave Dave Hebner takes the shears the way, the, the hedge clippers. And Beefcake, of course, pulls out the little scissors that he's going to use. And he makes the sleeper, he's making the sleeper hold motion. Brutus Beefcake wearing his, um, hmm, his, uh, the tights he has on are sheer, sheer on the leg. So the sheer nylon with the hot pink stripes, black stripes, kind of 
around or whatever. I don't know. And he's got the he's got the long gloves on, the long pink gloves. So the hot pink matching his tights. Greg Valentine wrestling in black trunks with the hammer in red on the back. So his his basic Valentine garb. Uh, starting off with a couple of elbows or a couple of forearm shots to Beefcake is Valentine. He's got Beefcake up against the ropes. Irish whipping and oh, ducks a clothesline. Beefcake ducks a clothesline and gives a high knee. Shades a Triple H. A big high knee to Greg Valentine, knocking him down to the mat. And now Beefcake clearly in charge. He picks up Valentine for a big spinneroo body slam. Puts him down in the center of the ring. Beefcake looking for a little action, throwing his hands up, saying get up. Gets Valentine up. Valentine Irish whip into the ropes. And Beefcake with a big boot to the face. Valentine, no. He's, he's a little bit dazed and then he falls face first onto the mat. Beefcake is now cutting and strutting, baby. Strutting in that ring, giving the signs for the he's giving the signs for the scissors, so not even the sleeper hold. Couple of fists, little couple of back and forth fists. Valentine spins around and Beefcake with a big atomic drop onto the knee. Valentine doing a little shimmy himself here as he looks like his ass hole is on fire. Uh, another big atomic drop once again to Greg Valentine and Valentine again now looks like that looks like that atomic. Maybe that atomic drop went right up his spine because he seems to be doing a little dance here, looking like he's almost a keen the African dream at this point. Oh, and a big flying elbow, standing flying elbow. And now Beefcake kind of does a little bit of a roll up here. A little interesting. It looks like he fell into a wrestling move there. Beefcake showing his wrestling styles here. Now, Valentine in the corner. Beefcake climbing up onto the second turnbuckle, looking to the crowd. Is he going to give him 10? He gives him 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Nine, ten. Oh, ten shots into the corner, and he jumps off. Beefcake once again. Valentine falls again, flat face, flat f first onto his face, onto the mat. So Valentine kind of really on a, at a disadvantage right now. He's backing off, begging Beefcake to leave him alone. Beefcake strutting into the corner here, and he goes in and he grabs Beefcake. Oh, and here we go. A Hebner getting involved. What a shocker. So Valentine's in the corner, and Beefcake's kind of getting him in there, looking like a little chokehold, and it looks like Dave Hebner jumps in the middle, and of course, at that point, Valentine takes a sheep shot. Now, now Beefcake's on the ground, and Valentine's attacking, it looks like, the throat area. Hitting him with some elbow drops and knee drops into the corner. Now, it looks like Greg Valentine's climbing up to the top rope. Not something you would see very often. But dropping a big elbow into the back of Beefcake's neck area. And Beefcake falls flat now. And now, be oh, it looks like Valentine's giving the signal. He's giving the signal for the big elbow drop. Oh, and he drops a big forearm right under his, right his neck. And a pinfall. One, two, two count. Beefcake kicks out. Valentine right back onto it. Now he's attacking his knee. He's attacking his right knee. He's putting it looks like a, he's putting a figure four leg lock right in the ropes. I don't understand what this is, but oh, this isn't. You know what I realized? This is just to soften Beefcake up. It has nothing to do with trying to get win a match here or doing it. He's just softening him up for the honky tonk man. That's exactly what it is. Because Beefcake is right was right in the ropes. Immediately grabbed the rope for Valentine to release, but Valentine grabs the ropes as well to give leverage to the. Figure four leg lock. Now, Beefcake gets kicked outside by by Greg Valentine. Uh, oddly enough, he gets kicked out right next to the table that I believe uh, would come into play later on this evening with Harley Race and Hulk Hogan. 
Uh, so that's uh, look forward to that table making appearance. And here he is, the longest, uh, currently longest reigning WWF Intercontinental Champion of all time. The Honky Tonk Man comes out, makes his way. Honky Tonk Man looks, he has a beautiful suit jacket on right now. It's like a beautiful, like, it's got gold gold leaf print on it. And it's kind of like a, uh, almost like a nice green teal, a beautiful suit. Now he's got the belt on. He's jarring at Beefcake, talking about how much... How much of a pussy, basically, Brutus Beefcake is, it sounds like to me. And his knees all messed up. He's saying, get on up, Beefcake, get on, get on, on, I'm the champion. And that's exactly what the Honk Tuck Man's saying. Jimmy Hart's laughing like a like a cackling hyena at this point. Um, but Brutus Beefcake really favoring that knee. Looks like all hell's broken loose here. We got we got three referees out there. Looks like we got Joey Morella. We got uh, I don't know, some young guy. I don't know who that is. It doesn't look like anybody I know. We got we got Daryl Hevner. We got Joey Morella, another young referee trying to get trying to get order back and trying to restore order. Trying to get Honky Tonk Man to go back to the ring, go back to the back to the dressing room area, and Beefcake's struggling to get back to his feet. And Honky Tonk Man's just basically oh, looks like Honky Tonk Man just told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> So, all right, and it looks like we're going to a commercial break. So, of course, that means I got a vamp for about 60 seconds because, uh, oh, good, only 43 because I'm on uh, standard Peacock. I didn't pay for extra Peacock, so I'm not going to be able to uh, tell you all about about this. But um, I guess I could explain a little bit about the feud real quickly between B Brutus Beefcake and, and the Honky Tonk Man. And, of course, uh, this really started, I think, because... Uh, I would say this actually started as a feud, more or less, between Brutus Beefcake and Jimmy Hart. Of course, coming from 1987's WrestleMania 3, where after Roddy Piper defeated Adrian Adonis, uh, the the stipulation was is that whoever lost the match would have their head shaved. And of course, since Adonis lost the match, being managed by Jimmy Hart, Brutus Beefcake came out. And decided to assist with that. And that's kind of where this all started. Uh, coming out of that, there was a feud now with um, the Honky Tonk Man. So we're back, actually. And we have Beefcake back in the ring. Greg Valentine dropping some elbows on the back of his head. And it looks like he's got fully in control right now. Delivering a couple of elbows to the forehead of Beefcake. Beefcake looked like he's trying to hulk up a little bit here. He's got the, he's kind of got the Hogan face on almost. So, But now we got a big body slam by Greg the Hammer Valentine. And another big spinner rooney arm. Looks like he's going to go for the figure four this time. Is he? Oh, he's going to do beefcakes. Or Valentine's going to do that weird thing he does where he, like, headbutts the guy's crotch. And that's exactly what he does. I guess that's supposed to, I don't know, soften up the thigh area. Doesn't really make much sense. Maybe hyper extend the knee. Always just look like Greg Valentine was just giving a guy a... Giving the guy's balls a headbutt, but that's that's just me. Now Valentine doing a move I love a lot, where it's like you pull the guy's leg and then you kind of snap the leg forward. You know, you step on his, you step right on his thigh area, right on his hip, and then you just go backwards and snap the leg. I love that move actually. Kind of looks real. It looks like a real punishing wrestling move, even though I know it's a, even though I know it's a work move, it still looks punishing. But uh, Beefcake now just kind of yelling at Hebner. Really, just I mean, again, you know, Hebner any chance he can to get involved. Now, Beefcake, now, Valentine's trying to go for another figure four here, and Beefcake's basically pulling Valentine's pants down to get him to stop doing the figure four leg lock. Valentine's half his ass is hanging out. So, uh, anybody out there is a Greg Valentine ass fan, you'll be able to see that. You know, I mean, Greg Valentine's ass now probably looks a lot, maybe a lot, I don't know, a lot worse, I would say. But, uh, you know, Greg Valentine actually still looks like he could probably go out there for at least, 
at least 25 minutes. Of course, 15 of that is he's got to warm up. So we got left and rights exchanging back and forth between Beefcake and Valentine. And uh, looks like Beefcake now with a couple of knife edge chops to Valentine. Valentine looking a little dazed. We get an Irish whip in. A oh, big back elbow by Greg Valentine, knock, or by Beefcake, knocking Valentine down. And now Beefcake is getting the crowd up. He's given the sign for the sleeper hold. So he wants it. He wants it bad. He wants the sleeper hold. He's right behind Valentine. And there it is. He's got the sleeper hold on him. Earl Hebner, Dave Hebner, checking to make sure it's not a chokehold. It is not. He's got that cinched in in the middle of the ring. Beefcake has got it all oh, hauled hard, and Jimmy's screaming into the megaphone. Now, Valentine does get to the rope here, and he falls out of the ring and not brings Beefcake with him right in front of Jimmy Hart. So you know shenanigans are going to be afoot here. Oh, and it actually looks like Jimmy jumps right over Beefcake and goes to Valentine to wake him up. So Jimmy Hart's not really interfering at this moment. But a big double axe handle to the face for Valentine, another one for his troubles. And now he's throwing him in the ring. And Jimmy Hart now, Jimmy Hart jumping on Brutus Beefcake, or jumping on Beefcake, looking around, doesn't have his megaphone though, he's like, uh oh shit, I'm hitting this guy who outweighs me by 250 pounds, and now Beefcake's chasing Valent, chasing Jimmy Hart around the ring, Jimmy kind of does a dive through, goes to the round, and then of course Valentine now fully woken by Jimmy Hart, is just stomps on Beefcake to slow this down, and now Beefcake, Beefcake in a back suplex, so a big back suplex by Greg Valentine, it looks like a double pin situation. And Beefcake got his shoulder up. So Valentine did a back suplex, but didn't bridge or anything and just had his shoulders to the mat. Beefcake had his shoulders to the mat. Dave Hebner counts the pinfall, but Beefcake got his shoulder up. He got his right shoulder up, and that is going to do it because Greg Valentine has been counted down, and the winner is Brutus the Barber Beefcake. How about that, folks? Brutus Beefcake. Good Lord. Jesus Christmas. So that's that. <laughs> Brutus the Bobber. Brother Brudeye. Winning this matchup against Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine now all dejected. But that's okay, Greg. Don't worry. Because at WrestleMania 4, you're in the tournament for the World Championship. And Beefcake's trying to wrestle for the Intercontinental Belt. Oh, look at this. And oh my God. Beefcake got a little bit of Greg Valentine's beautiful blonde hair. And just cut it off. He snuck behind him and cut his hair. What an asshole. <laughs> Brother Brudeye, what are you doing, buddy? And he takes the big shears. Now he's got the big hedge clippers out. He's getting in the ring. He's like, these are my. this is my equalizer. You got Jimmy Hart? Well, I have something that weighs about as much as Jimmy Hart. The big uh, the hedge clippers here. And he looks like he wants to do... I mean, Now, see, this is always what I thought was odd. It's like he's coming after them with like a pair of hedge clippers. It's like he's not going to cut their hair with the hedge clippers. So basically, he's just running after them with a, with a large cutting instrument. Like, thank God he's not Sid Justice or Sid Vicious. I mean, he would have ended up stabbing Arn Anderson with those. But uh, Jimmy Hart now leaning and playing the siren alarm on his megaphone to uh, alert the officials because... You know, that happened. So, <laughs> and I think that's going to do it for me on uh, Cronoso Monthly this week or this, this month. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, and you have yourself a great rest of your day, and enjoy Saturday nights, baby. Well, after that foicide committed by Brutus and an attempted assault with some garden shears that would have fit in perfectly with 1981's classic slasher movie, The Burning, we go on to our next match, and we cut to the back with a beaming 
Bobby the Brain Heenan standing next to a stoic Harley race being interviewed by Mean Gene Okolin. Gene mentions how Bobby shoulders responsibility for costing Hulk Hogan the title. Bobby says he will gladly shoulder that responsibility as it was great to watch Andre the giant humble Hulk Hogan. Bobby insults the Hulkamaniac humanoids who watched Hogan lose the title while crying. And then tonight, we're going to watch the king, Harley Race, humble Hulk Hogan. We're going to see Hulk Hogan bow on his hands and knees to the only king of the World Wrestling Federation, Harley Race. And of course, no mentions made of like Harley being an eight-time NWA champion, a thing that always drove me fucking crazy as a kid, but I understand why they do it. Bobby also mentions that we could all bow, and maybe it'll be a brand new thing that we could all do to show respect. To the king. Gene points the mic at Harley, fresh off gargling razor blades and washing it down with Jack Daniels, says that it has been proven that Hulk Hogan is mortal and that all mortal men will bow to the king. Bobby offers one last piece here and says, there's another treat that you are going to see. You're going to see Hulk Hogan bow and kneel, but you're also going to see him kiss the feet of the king. Gene is appalled to hear this. The look of disgust <laughs> covers his face. He does not like this. He's taken aback. They don't want to let the royal subjects wait any longer. So Bobby and Harley head off to the ring. This was a great little segment. Bobby looks great here. After they leave, Gene says, Hulk Hogan, bow. I don't think we'll ever see that. We'll find out next as we enter the arena with Harley Race walking down the ring with his classic The Great Gate of Kiev by Modest Mussorgsky, the Russian composer from his Pictures at an Exhibition uh, piano suite, which famously also is where the Night on Bald Mountain, which is uh, featured prominently in the movie Fantasia, comes from as well. Classic piece of music for Harley fits his character perfectly. At this moment, Jesse asks Vince if Vince will be bowing for Harley Race, and uh, Vince says, no, Jesse, I am not going to bow, and I doubt very sincerely that Hulk Hogan will. Vince also states here that Hulk Hogan's wrestling skills are better than that of the king, and that is why he won't be bowing. He might be right, but I'll put my money on Harley in a real fight any day of the week. Jesse says that Hogan is now a man without a title, and we cut to Hogan in the back. He's got a taped fist raised to his head next to Gene, uh, this is indicating that he is ready for a fight. He is uh, unhinged, perhaps, just with his body language here. Gene tells Hulk that Bobby said that Hulkamania has been humbled. And this is decades before the Iron Sheik was running around saying that he broke Hogan's back, fucked his ass, and made him humble. Bobby says that Hogan himself has been humbled. Hogan says, first off, Hulkamania will never die. The big wheels of Hulkamania are turning away. Hogan says that the one thing in his way before getting back to WrestleMania and his title is Harley Race, and that he will conquer Harley. Hogan says Bobby was a smart man because he sold Andre the Giant, because Heenan knew that Andre can never beat Hogan. Uh, first off, how dare you, Hulk Hogan? You lost to Andre the Giant in about three minutes at WrestleMania 3. Uh, the videotape exists. Uh, we all know it. Andre definitely won that match, so what a load of shit from Hogan here. Hogan says that there is only one man that he will ever bow to, and that man is the big dude that walks on water. So I guess he's talking about David Copperfield, or maybe it was Chris Angel, or I don't know, one of those fake dudes. And then Hogan uh, wraps up this promo with a great line and addresses Harley Race and says, All the weasel's horses and all the weasel's men will not be able to put the king back together again as he's ripping his shirt. One of the more classic Hogan lines from a Saturday Night's Main event. Hogan looks directly into the camera, does his signature posing, and uh, we cut to the ring as he's coming down to the ring with his shirt ripped, the crowd going nuts, his body is ripped, and uh, he goes right for Bobby Heenan. Uh, it's a gingerly run, but it's a run nonetheless. Bobby runs away, throws the timekeeper and announcer chairs that are just kind of sitting next to the ring in a weird way, kind of the uh, checkoffs uh, table, if you will. Bobby books it the fuck out of there, runs up right up the aisle, 
and we cut to commercial. As we're cutting to commercial, Vince says, after this, we're going to find out who the true king of the World Wrestling Federation is. As we come back from commercial, Hogan slides right in there, and Harley drops two huge elbows to Hulk Hogan's lower back. Hogan no-sells these and pops right up, but then Harley starts throwing some big headbutts at Hogan that Hogan starts feeling. But he's not really feeling the third one as uh, Hogan rips off his bandana and then hits Harley with a big punch to the gut. Harley's big old barrel gut. How many cans of Schlitz are in that gut, man? Oh my God. Big Hogan right hands to Harley. Harley sells these phenomenally, throwing his body back, eventually taking a big right that takes Harley down. Hogan stands on top of Harley, straddling him and rips his shirt off. (laughs) The prostrate body of Harley forced to stare at Hogan's grundle as Hogan has the crowd whipped into a fury. Harley runs up to sneak attack Hogan just in time for Hogan to turn around with a huge clothesline that Harley sells with a backdrop with his legs going over the top of his head. Then another one like that. Harley is bumping like a fucking madman for Hogan here. Hogan clotheslines Harley as Harley's back is to the ring ropes and Harley flies over the top rope with both of his kneecaps being annihilated on the announce table that is right next to the ring one that I mentioned earlier. This looks insanely brutal. Harley is just flying all over the place for Hogan here. Hogan gets two hands at the curly locks of Harley and smashes Harley's fucking skull against the apron on the outside. Harley gets picked up by Hogan in a body slam position and Hogan just runs and slams Harley's shoulder first into the ring post. Holy shit, Harley is getting his shit pushed in. Bobby is back on the outside and he's taunting Hogan. Hogan takes his eyes off the king here and chases Bobby around. Now Bobby is pushed up against that same table. He winds up on top of the table and Hogan just grabs him and starts to choke the living shit out of Bobby. How long have these men fucking hated each other? And then from behind comes Harley Race. Hits Hogan in the back. Stuns the Hulkster. But then Harley goes for a pile driver on the floor. Holy shit. Is he going to kill him? No. Because this is the same move Hogan tried to murder Andre the Giant with at WrestleMania. So Hogan knows this. What's he got to do? He backdrops Harley over straight to the fucking floor. This is great. This is exactly what happened to Hogan from Andre. Hogan has learned from Andre here and is able to counter this move that would have probably cracked his skull open and cost him the match. Picks Harley up for a huge atomic drop. Harley crumbles to the mat. His asshole is destroyed. His lower spine is wrecked. Harley meets another ring post as Hogan throws him into it from the opposite side of the ring. Great ring awareness here as Hogan slides back into the ring to break the count. Back on the outside, another devastating move is Hogan slams Harley on the fucking floor on the outside, and then a big stomp to Harley's chest. Holy fucking shit. They're both up, and before Hogan can even throw Harley in, Harley just jumps the fuck into the ring. He's like, I gotta get the fuck away from this dude. This guy's a fucking madman. He's trying to murder me out here. Hogan hits Harley with a big Dusty Rhodes-esque elbow, a chop to Harley, another left-handed chop here. Harley goes down. Hogan rakes the eyes and then grabs Harley's jaw with his left hand and just hammers like 10 right hands right to the fucking eye of Harley Race. Hogan then takes off his ring tape and he's choking Harley Race with the ring tape here. Holy shit. He's trying to murder the eight-time NWA champion. Harley gets whipped in and Hogan uses the tape as a clothesline, but it doesn't just like bop him with it. He just takes him down with the choking tape and just chokes him. He's, he's garroting him. He's got a noose and he's trying to behead the king. Uh, you gotta chill out, Hogan. Holy shit. Two more huge rights. Harley almost gets under the giant style caught in the ropes. The ref pushes Hogan away. Hogan goes to choke Harley again in the ropes, and this is where Heenan grabs the leg of Hogan. Hogan takes his eyes off Harley, grabs, pulls Heenan up, and just starts choking the shit out of him. The tide turns a little bit here as Harley attacks Hogan from behind, hits a huge headbutt, 
a standing headbutt, and then a dropping headbutt. We know Harwood's got one of the hardest heads in the business, and he is using it as a weapon here. A great, great knee drop that looks fucking horrifyingly painful. And then a beautiful belly-to-belly suplex here. He hooks the arm. As he does it, he captures the arm, hits Hogan with it. I always loved when Harley did this. And I feel like when Shane Douglas used this as his finisher, uh, it was definitely meant as an homage to the king, Harley Race. I don't know, but I'm assuming. Harley doesn't go for a pin here, which he might have been able to get because Hogan looks pretty stunned. Not a lot of people hit him with belly to bellies. He backs up and drops another knee here, not to the head of Hogan, but the throat of Hogan. Holy shit, his esophagus looks like it could have been fucking turned into mashed potatoes. This looks brutal. And then we get a sit-down pile driver from Harley, one of the best you'll ever see. Him and Terry Funk, two of the best NWA champions of all time, also both have two of the best pile drivers of all time. Funk usually grabs the tights to get the guy back, but Harley, the big fucking ox that he is, just grabs Hogan around the waist and drops him on his fucking head. Hogan doesn't really sell it here because he's got a big old neck, so he could take a pile driver or two and a big-ass dome. Harley throws Hogan outside. Hogan's Feeling it here as Harley chases him, knocks Hogan onto the table, moves it just a little bit. Vince is like, what's he going to do? Punches Hogan twice in the face, moves some chairs around. Hogan's laying on the table. Harley climbs the ring steps, and what are we going to get? How about a motherfucking flying headbutt to Hogan on the table? Hogan moves. The table is fucking bent. The insanely hard head of Harley Race has bent this steel table in half. This is wild. These are steel fucking, this is a steel fucking table from the fucking 80s, man. Jesus Christ. There's no reason for this table to be here other than this spot, but I don't give a motherfucking shit because it looks so cool. Just adds to the bedlam of this match. Hogan staggers around trying to, and trying to get back into the ring. Harley pushes him in. Jesse's talking about how hard Harley's head is and how it must be the thickest, strongest heads in the world to destroy a table like that, and he's fucking right. This just sells that Harley's a beast. Harley hits him again a bunch of times, and Hogan's down on, the, on his back in the center of the ring. He climbs the turnbuckle. Harley here on the top rope, flies through the air, huge headbutt right to the side of the face of Hogan, possibly collapsing his uh, mandible bone. Hogan's twitching on the mat here. Harley goes for the pin. Two count. Hogan kicks out with some real authority, and now Hogan starts hulking up. Harley doesn't seem to be phased at first as he's throwing punches, but then he sees Hogan is not selling these punches, staring out at him, and Harley is not enjoying this. Punching to the side of the head, to the side of the mouth, Hogan shaking the finger says no. Kick to the gut, Hogan says no. Hogan to his feet, right hands to Harley, whips him from one corner into the other and hits a sick lariat. Another brutal one. It's not an axe bomber, but it's a pretty fucking sick clothesline. It's crazy here because Hogan hits these two clotheslines and then just bounces into the into the rope real quickly. Not even the center of the ropes. At a real tight angle, he hits these and just drops the leg drop with uh, just a step or two. And he gets the pin. I mean, he's in the match with Harley goddamn race. You do not fuck around. When a man headbutts a table like that, you do not take any extra time. You don't play to the crowd. He saw his opportunity. He hit the clotheslines, and he hit the leg drop, and he pins Harley, the goddamn king race, and Hogan wins this match. Bobby Heenan sneaks in. He looks like he's got brass knuckles or something, punches Hogan in the back of the head a couple times. Hogan has no interest in selling this at all. Bobby Heenan sees Hogan is about to fucking murder him, and Bobby has one of the greatest exits of a ring I've ever seen. He literally just jumps over the top rope, lands on his feet while running like Wiley Coyote, and runs to the back. It is fucking wild. We get a slow-mo of Harley's headbutt bending the table in half. We see Hogan in the ring saying, all right, man, that guy's a little bitch. Fuck Bobby. He's putting his hand to his ear, going from side to side. This is a great moment. Vince, who 40 years later is still obsessed with it, 
is talking about the momentum of Hulk Hogan and heading into WrestleMania with momentum. So that is not a new thing in the vernacular of Vince McMahon. The crowd is going nuts. This is a great moment, a wild moment. Hogan's doing the fucking one hand to the ear. He at one point does both hands to the ear and he looks like a little bit of a moose. You get the Hogan poses, pantomimes, the strap being around his waist, fist pointing to the man upstairs who walks on water. Double thumbs up to him. I don't know who he's talking about. Maybe Santa Claus, who knows? And then we're done. I mean, holy shit. What a fun, wild brawl this was. Hogan really kicked the shit out of the fucking king. Uh, Just a really fun back and forth match. I love the urgency of the pinfall here where Hogan's like, this guy will do anything to take me out and I just gotta get, I'm getting through him and I got my eyes on WrestleMania. Harley proves that he's one of the greatest fucking bumpers of all time. Up there with Adrian Adonis, just a true beast. Making Hogan look like a fucking Superman. This match did exactly what you wanted it to do. Got the crowd into a frenzy, furthers Hogan and Bobby, makes... Hogan looked credible beating a fucking NWA world champion, even though Vince would never acknowledge that on television. Makes Bobby look like a true weasel, and also just, what a fucking athlete that dude is, holy shit. One thing I really liked about this match and a narrative that was pushed throughout the whole night was that Hogan is a man now without a title, a man without an identity, a mortal man, and he is on a path to get back the thing that he needs, which is himself, and who he is, and who he has based so much on his self-worth on is being the champion, and this is a step towards that, and his goal being WrestleMania, and I love the idea of Hogan having a goal, not just being a guy who people are trying to take out. It's a really cool wrinkle to his character that I really liked, and I really liked the moment of Hogan having learned from his attempt at the pile driver. It just shows a growth uh, to his character in the ring, too, and his urgency to pin race as well, and not showboat. Really cool character stuff here. I loved every second of that. I mean, everyone after this is going to remember the flying headbutt, and that's what this match is probably most famous for. So, I don't know. Four stars out of four. This match fucking ruled. My name is Rocco Martone. I say check it out. And up next, the Million Dollar Man versus Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah. Freak out, freak outs. Cronoso Monthly, we're here with the Macho Madness taking on Ted DiBiase Saturday night's main event. And that's where I'll stop my Macho imitation so it doesn't leak out that it's actually bad. But yes, it is Cronoso Monthly. Randy Savage versus Ted DiBiase, March 12th, 1988. And shockingly, for people who know 1988 WWF, this is the first time. I think, which some light Googling showed me that I believe this to be true, that these two ever met in the ring, and it's, what, about two weeks before, three weeks before WrestleMania 4. And this is, again, the Saturday Night's main event, the odd universe they are in where they do not mention WrestleMania 4 at all, at least through, I heard this, this match and the Hulk Hogan match, they do not mention it at all. We mentioned the Hulk Hogan is no longer WWF champion, but they don't really even mention... They mentioned Ted DiBiase trying to steal the belt, but they don't go into detail about that. They don't talk about how, you know, there's a tournament with both of these guys as heavy favorites in it going. Nowadays, if it was the same situation, you'd hear nothing. These two would meet on Raw the week before the tournament, and you'd have Michael Cole talking about how each man wants to try and build momentum going into the tournament. But we don't get that here, but they do have their dueling promos and it ends up with you know macho making some money puns to show that he is ready to be a top line guy if you can make the dick ebersol and the boys are writing puns for you for saturday night's main event you know you've made it so yeah get started right away virgil is screwing around with uh elizabeth getting in her 
going by her. And then as the match starts, uh, Andre the Giant comes out because Teddy DiBiase had promised a big surprise. And out comes Andre, looking spiffy as always in his suit. Very well-dressed man. And starts out quick, you know, both guys going back and forth. DiBiase kind of gets, eventually gets the advantage because both uh, Savage keeps getting distracted. First by Virgil, eventually by Andre. A funny point where Jesse asks which Dave Hefner is refereeing, and Vince goes into a story about how he's been fingerprinted and verified as the real Dave Hefner. So no uh, evil twins with face plant, face surgeries will be doing this match how much did the classic surgery cost short clothesline from savage he does the the neck clothesline that's always a favorite uh he again though gets distracted by andre and andre comes over when savage kicks dibiase out of the ring goes up top but again andre comes over just like we'd see in a more famous match down the line uh Virgil gets a shot from behind while Savage is worried about Andre, though, and the ref sends the real Dave Hefner, though, does send Virgil to the back. So he is a non-factor for the rest of the mask. DiBiase wears down Savage and, you know, does his cheating a little bit. Chin lock with hair pulls to keep him down. Savage makes the comeback, gets a backdrop. DiBiase... Gets the pulls the ref in the way of a savage clothesline, though, knocking the real Dave Hebner out. And Savage hits the knee to the back, knocks out DiBiase, goes up top, hits the double axe handle of the floor. But then Andre comes and just kills him. He chops him four times. Each time he chops him, Savage falls to the ground, and Andre picks him up and gives it to him again. Then he hits like three or four head pu- headbutts, throws him into the ring post. Elizabeth is frightened by Andre and runs away. And then Savage eventually, Andre just kind of like tosses him over the barricade and he gets counted out. And then after the match, DiBiase and and Andre start beating on Savage even more. And then Virgil comes back even though the match is over, so he's allowed back at ringside, I suppose. And then while he does this, finally Elizabeth comes out with Hulk Hogan and his chair, saving the his Mega Powers partner. You know, by this point though, you know, if they're Mega Powers, Hogan should be watching on TV. He shouldn't have to be told by Elizabeth what's happening. I think that's just more evidence of how he's a bad a bad friend and a bad Mega Power. But that we'll cover that more as we go on in the Chronoso. This was, though, a really good match. I mean, Savage and DiBiase, they're not going to have a lot of stinkers. Back and forth match, kind of. And it was a long match, especially for Saturday Night's, Saturday night's main event. I think it, it's longer than their WrestleMania main event. So it, they, were ha- they were setting these guys up as this is going to be two very important guys for the future. And, yeah, I would go three and a half, which is probably the same I'd say for their... Uh, WrestleMania main event. I mean, different different matches for sure, but you see the beats that you'll see the rest, the rest of the year. Because these guys, I mean, WrestleMania, WrestleFest, SummerSlam, even Survivor Series 88, and plenty of 
MSG, Boston Garden, Spectrum, any shows you want. There's plenty of these two guys in. I think they never really had a bad match. Some of the matches might be a bit repetitive. You know, goes a little, it's a little repetitive. But overall, great matches. And yeah, so I hope you all enjoyed it. I'll see you next time. Hello, this is Tim Slomka in the North-South Connection uh, for Carnoso Monthly. Tonight, I got the privilege of doing the Islanders versus the Killer Bees from Saturday Night's main event, March of 1988. So, uh, we get just, this match just happens right after the Macho Mad, Macho Madness and the Hulkamania meet together in the ring. Uh, we come out with the Killer Bees with no theme music. It's just so weird in 1988 that some of these teams don't have theme music. Um, we get this cool graphics of showing the Killer Bees which uh, and the Islanders uh, that I thought was really well done. Uh, backstage, we have Jesse with the with the Islanders kind of talking uh, with, with Bobby about how this match is going to come about. Uh, they pretend, or Vince pretends, like Vince or Jesse left the, the booth and ran over to uh, do the interview and then ran back to the uh you know to to do the commentary so kind of silly just like production wise like why couldn't they have someone else do the interview uh they've really been playing up uh bobby the brain he didn't is afraid so bobby comes out in a beekeeper outfit huge weasel chance from the crowd is this match that's going we get you know jumping jumping jim brunzel goes right away for the the action i thought the bees actually look pretty quick here they have a lot of speed and you know they talk about this a lot that you know jesse definitely does a great job of this the bees have the speed islanders have the strength but the 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 islanders are going to win based kind of with bobby uh the brain being the reason for the win uh this match has a ton of crowd sweetening throughout it so it's very hard to kind of hear what the crowd's actually cheering for it's only a four minute match so it doesn't go on too long brunzel actually gets a bloody nose as well in the middle of the match uh, so that really kind of throws the flow off of the match. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't going to be long anyways, but obviously he goes out and kind of is cuddled in the corner for a minute or two to kind of catch his, catch his breath and get cleaned up. Um, you know, three minutes in, they get they actually go for the hot tag, which the crowd actually bites for. So kind of weird. Uh, the crowd actually pumped up because normally you got you have a longer segment, but the crowd actually pumps for this. Uh, Blair gives great energy uh, when he comes in. He does two quick power slams on both the Islanders. Um, we get to the finish, right? It's only it's only a four minute match. There's not much going on, but I really like the hot tag. I really think Blair brought a lot of energy when he got tagged in for it. Uh, the ref totally blows the the, the count, uh, so they go for the bees actually go for a a, a pin, and the ref's supposed to get distracted uh, by Bobby. Kind of doesn't, so he kind of just stops versus continuing the pin, and then kind of picks up himself up. Instead, we get a weak clothesline from Haku that knocks Blair over. They get. Um, a one, two, three. Then Brunzel, as that as that pinfall is even happening, jumps in and he, he's actually there to get it. It's one of those where he has to jump and kind of fall short of of stopping the pin. It really looks silly. The ref definitely screwed it up. The timing. I, I would have rather just had rather than Haku getting the close. I wish Bobby would have actually been involved in the ring because Jesse set it up really well in the commentary. But Bobby was kind of not as big a factor. Um, and and so we get the Islanders winning in a quick match. Uh, over the Killer Bees, and I think it's definitely setting up their feud uh, between the two teams, but, you know, kind of a nothing match, kind of your standard Saturday night main events where we're getting to the end of the, the night, they kind of squeeze these quicker matches in, where I think if this would have been 10 minutes and then Hot Tag would have led to something more concrete of, of a, a finish, I would have been a lot hyper with it. As the match ends, we get the Islanders kind of quickly celebrating, and then we get right we get thrown right to uh, to Slick, who starts talking about Ken Patera and how all Olympians are losers, so Chronoso Monthly will pick up from there. 
as I mentioned, my name is Tim Slomka. I'm on, uh, you know, Cronoso Monthly here with everyone. And then also I do G- with G- my friend JP, Justin Pratt. We do New Gen on a Mission every other Tuesday on North-South Connection. We are going from Brennan Shaw on Survivor Series 92 to Brennan Shaw on Survivor Series 90, 97. Uh, working our way through right now, WrestleMania 10 uh, fallout and into King of the Ring 94 the celebrated Art Donovan love fest that will be coming very soon. But we're working our way through King of the Ring qualifying matches shortly. Uh, we look at weekly TV, so weekly Raws and weekly superstars, and really break down the feuds, uh, what worked and what could have worked and what failed uh, each week. So we're on every other Tuesday on the North-South Connection. Uh, so check us out. Listen, rate, and review to all the stuff on North-South Connection. Thanks, as always, to Ryan Gray for putting this together. See you, see you next month. Hello, Cronoso. This is John Blyhead Jake here. Um, I'm going to be covering the most uh, last match on a Saturday Night's Main Event match that you may ever see. And that's going to be um, the one-man gang versus Ken Patera. Not to be confused with the groove metal band Pantera. Um, famous for the song Walk. Uh, singer of Phil Anselmo. Um, from my neck of the woods. He's from New Orleans. And also... Uh, you have a Dimebag Daryl who was uh, tragically murdered by an arranged fan, but that's neither here nor there. Um, anyway, so this is the last match on this show. Uh, we got a promo before. We have Slick um, ranting about the Olympic team, calling a bunch of losers. Uh, Gene defends their honor, of course. He's not standing for any of that. Then Slick starts talking about the second place Yankees. He mentions Steinbrenner. I wasn't really following what the hell he was talking about. Um, but then One Man Gang says that, uh, then he mentions that. Um, who needs a team when you're a one-man gang? And then we head to the match. Uh, Jesse says that Steinbrenner slid him some bucks. Apparently, I don't know what's going on between those two. Uh, Pantera is obviously at the end of his end of his run here. I think he would go to like AWA. Um, yeah, which says <laughs> says enough for you right there. Pretty soon after this, I think he'd be gone by Survivor Series. I think Survivor Series is probably his last match or something like that. So he'd be gone in about six months. And uh, One Man Gang is like, uh, I think he'll be, uh, he's in a weird spot right now because he'll be Akeem, I think, his, uh, in about six months too. So he's kind of in a transitional phase. But you can kind of expect who's going to win here. I mean, uh, Mr. Pantera, not going to win this match. But uh, he looks very Richard simmons here. He comes out with his little Olympic getup. His hair is extremely floofy. Very floofy hair from uh, Mr. Pantera. Um, his offense, uh, looks absolutely horrendous in this match. Uh, uh, gang chokes him with his little, uh, Olympic Richard Simmons pants, uh, to begin. But it's a lot of pin, see, now I'm saying it, Pantera. A lot of Patera offense here. Old Kenny's getting a lot of offense here. But like I said a minute ago, it's, it's terrible. Like, uh, he does like the shoulder blocks in the corner, but they look soft and awful. Um, like, uh, Definitely not not as hard-hitting as uh, the band Pantera, but um, they just kind of slop around for a little bit. Gang gets a clothesline. I mean, uh, a couple strikes here and there. But again, it's, it's all Kim Patera. And again, all his offense looks real soft and weak, like a uh, really weak bear hug, just the softest bear hug. and barely get his arms around gigantic one-man gang. And then the finish is real blah, too, because one-man gang just hits him with, like, not a particularly impressive-looking clothesline. And Patera just kind of flops on the ground, and we get a pin. So, um, yeah, and then after this, we get um, we get 
uh, Kim Patera trying to do like a scoop slam, I guess, trying to get his heat back. We're trying, who gets a fuck anyway? Why are we trying to get Kim Patera's heat back? But he tries to do a scoop slam and then Slick comes in and makes a save. I guess they wanted to end it on a happy note, as happy as these fans said in 1988 could care about Kim Patera, which I imagine is, is not very much. So, yeah, I don't know. If I were to rate this match, I'd probably give it like a dud because it's like kind of crappy. It's very crappy. It sucks. Uh, it's just something to fill up the end of a Saturday night's main event, and I guess maybe get one man gain a, a gang a win. Uh, that's the only purpose I could see this serving. But uh, yeah, it was kind of trash. So I'm not recommend watching this ever. Terrible match. Um, but if you'd like to listen to me further, you could always check me out on the Ruth's Aggressive Podcast, which drops every other Tuesday here on the North South Connection. Thanks for uh, listening to Cornoso and uh, listen to. Um, Pantera, but do not watch the shitty match. Bye. Okay, everyone. I'm back! That's right. The Down Under Thunder is back. You get a second hit of me on the one episode, and I know you all love it. You all love it. But I'm back as we round out this episode of Saturday Night's Main Event with the usual, the typical, the normal. It is not Saturday Night's Main Event without it. The Hulk Hogan promo to close the show. Vincent Jesse send it back to Mean Gene, who says that Hulk Hogan tonight, it was one down and one to go. What on earth are you saying, Gene? One down tonight? Yeah, he beat race, but one to go? We're clearly referring to WrestleMania. But Hogan's got to wrestle more than one match if he wants to reclaim his title. It's not one to go. It's at least three. Maybe Gene gave away what's going to happen at WrestleMania. Maybe. Gene, I think Vince is going to have some words with you. He's going to pull you aside. He's going to tell you, don't do that again or you'll be fired. Or maybe not. Gene says that tonight he saw maniacal behavior from Hulk Hogan. And Hogan says it wasn't maniacal behavior. He says that when DiBiase threw the cash around, costing him his championship, he threw the rule book out. And that's why Harley Race is laying flat on his back. So if we take this logic, what Hogan is saying is that it's actually Ted DiBiase's fault that Harley Race has suffered an injury, is going to require surgery, and is going to be out for nearly six to seven months of action. It's all your fault, DiBiase. Well, you know what? Harley Race, the king, his manager, Bobby Heenan, it's pretty tight with DiBiase. I wonder if Bobby Heenan can uh, convince Ted to... uh, pay for Harley Race's surgery because we know Bobby's not going to do that. Maybe the King's got his own royal surgeon to do it for him. Who knows? But anyway, Hogan says he's coming for the giant. So I guess he doesn't really want his title back. He just wants to get revenge on Andre. And uh, maybe that's what's going to happen. We'll we'll just have to wait for our next episode. We go back to Jesse and Vince, and Jesse calls Hogan a maniac. He says he's not right in the head. Well, we know Jesse doesn't like like Hulk Hogan, and, and it's always fun to hear Jesse run him down. 
they start to talk in Vince start to talk about WrestleMania and how Hogan and Andre are going to meet in the second round of the tournament. And Jesse obviously picks Andre the Giant to beat Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania because he says Andre's cooler. Andre's calm and collected. You know, I think he's got a point. I think he's got a point. And, uh, well, I guess we're just going to have to wait and find out. We're just going to have to wait till WrestleMania, which, hey, guys, that's going to be our next episode on the Cronoso. Look, I really, really hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Cronoso from beginning to end. And, um, you know, just a little pop in and out from me today. But if you enjoy hearing me, you want to hear more, uh, check me out on the uh, on the podcast that I do once a month with Scott Criscolo through the looking glass. It's a great episode. And uh, and this month, well, it's been fun because we've been talking about the King Harley race. And uh, if you jump on over to uh, through the looking glass, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Kings this month. Kings of the ring. Come and check it out. Really hope you do. But for now, from me at the Cronoso, the Down Under Thunder, I'd like to wish you a good night, a good day, a good whatever time of you're listening to this. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode of Cronoso Monthly. So do we change the name of Cronoso Monthly now that we are going twice a month? Nah, let's just keep it the same. Guys, we're going to see you in two weeks for WrestleMania Four. We have a few new voices coming back to the nose, so so I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure you guys are too. So take it away, Phil Collins. Great episode, guys. See you next time.
Cause I 